This is uh, Will Procasio. Hi, this is Brian Azzarelli. This is Freddie Williams. Hi, this is Lieber Mayo. Hi, this is Matt Wagner. Hey, this is Tim Sayer. Hi, this is Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. Hey, I'm Duncan Wynn. Hi, this is Kevin Van Duncan here. This is the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 31. I'm your host, Dustin, and as always, we have with us... It's Apple. You got Josh. And we are bringing you the latest comic news from the past three weeks, as well as the comic reviews from the past three weeks. That's right, I said three weeks, not two weeks, because of a bunch of random issues. Uh, we weren't able to record on time, so now we are just doing it a week later and playing catch-up with uh, a total of 14 books we'll be reviewing. So be prepared for a really, really long episode. Yeah, for comic fans, it's going to be fun. Sit back and relax and hear us rant about more books than usual. All right, so let's jump right into comic news. There is a decent amount of news to go over since we haven't recorded in about three weeks. So the first thing we have is on Monday, October 19th, Jim Lee talks with comic book resources just a small little bit about uh, All-Star Batman. Now, there's not much news here, but there was a remark that he made that we're going to mention. So he said, technically, we're not late anymore. Lee said about the off-delayed comic book. We're in in between volumes. He expects that there should be six or seven more issues of All-Star Batman before it ends. Now, obviously, if you remember back at San Diego Comic-Con, we talked to Jim Lee, and he said that he was in the process of drawing, and it was all his fault that the book is late. Yeah, he also gave us the exclusive about what cover to expect, but <laughs> I just find it funny where it's now broken into volumes. <laughs> so I guess when anything's late, oh, no, no, it's not late. It, it's the f- We ended the first volume. That's what it was. <laughs> that was the plan all along. <laughs> we just didn't know that. Shame on us for saying that they're late. I'm sorry, Frank Miller and Jim Lee. Volumes? Really? Really? Okay. I hate that, like, now they're going to relaunch this. They're going to have a shiny new number one, All-Star Batman and Robin, issue one. And then, like, in little letters, volume two. It's like, it's not it's not like it ran for, like, 300 issues. Jeez. Yeah, but, you know, everyone's uh, excuse for that will be, well, it's when you get such popular people right, working on books, that's what happens. And I could go with that with Jim Lee, but Frank Miller, I'm sorry, he's not as popular as he once was. Yeah, oh man, Jim Lee's artwork. Oh man, man, that that guy can draw. Yeah. All right, so moving along, October 21st, Newsarama posts up an interview with Greg Rucka. Now, as you know, Greg Rucka is currently penning Detective Comics, which features Batwoman. There are just a couple highlights we're going to cover. I will read for Greg Rucka, and Josh will read for Newsarama. This isn't your first go-around at Detective Comics, but it couldn't be any more different than last time, Greg. Does it feel like the same book at all? It's a different animal entirely, there's no question. Batman has been the main character in Detective Comics for quite a while now, but the fact that the title originally did feature other lead characters was a large factor in our decision to bring Batwoman here. The precedent was there. The fourth and final part of the inaugural Batwoman story arc landed last month. How do you think fans have taken the character of Batwoman now that she's had her first feature-length adventure on her own? 
the people that I that I talk to have been really positive there and there's still a lot of questions people are asking about her and her corner of the world I do admit that there is little impatience in the fact that her origin wasn't revealed in the first issue or the first story arc but that wasn't the intention if I really wanted to dig into the fans response I could go read online postings which are a small percentage of the actual fan base or spend the time actually writing comics but speaking of these first issues, Jim and I have been able to spend a lot of time to tell stories we want to tell with Kate. We're slowly unraveling who Kate is, what she's doing, and why. That's a luxury you don't often get in the world of comics. The schedule for producing comics is very, very pressing. We were fortunate to get a relatively long lead time to work on this, which served us both well. Yeah. Let's get into that. With Elegy wrapped, the next story arc is the much-anticipated origin of Kay Kane entitled Go. As you were one of the principals involved with the new Batwoman's creation back in 52, has this origin been with the character since its creation, i.e. as something you always have set in mind to tell in an upcoming story arc? Go will tie directly to th- into the first story arc. This is how and why she put on the costume and what she did to make sure she didn't go out and get killed in her first outing. When Jim and I first conceived this, we intended it to be read as one big cohesive chunk. The fact that there will be a pause midway between the 12 issues comes at a very appropriate place. A passage of time helps the story. So that's Greg Rucka. Yeah, he's saying that uh, fans are begging for the origin. I thought that we got a origin in 52, I guess. I guess I could kind of see, though, looking back, how they would need to tie in more into her backstory. Because at 52, she really just did kind of put on the costume. But Yeah. Either way, um, I'm looking forward to seeing the origin, this four-issue origin that they're going to do, just to see what comes out of it. All right, so also, earlier that week, or the second to last week, I should say, of October, the solicitations for January were announced, and... You can read all about the solicitations over on the comic or on the website under our comic upcoming releases. Only because there's nothing really worthwhile mentioning that isn't already expected. So moving right along, we move on to October 26th, and Paul Levitz is to write Batman Beyond. Newsarama posted some info that will eventually be released during the 10 Q and A's with Dan Dio. And it was revealed that Batman Beyond will be featured in the Superman Batman annual early next year. Paul Levitz, the former president of DC Comics, will be writing the annuals. The comment that DiDio made was, Paul will actually be working on three annuals for DC Comics in the beginning of next year, DiDio said. The first one up will be Superman Batman annual that Paul is writing. Which we're very excited about it because it features some very interesting characters from beyond, so to speak. So even though DiDio tried to be coy with his news, as he always does, it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. So we'll probably see Terry McGinnis come in contact with Bruce as they travel to a possible future. Now, keep in mind, this is not having at all to do with the Batman Beyond miniseries, and we'll find out about that a little later on. But specifically, this has nothing to do with the miniseries. This is an annual that... You know, Terry McGinnis is just going to be featured in. Huh. Okay, well, I guess when they bring Terry back, they bring him back in all fronts. I know. I wonder if they're going to still use the same costume. 
they got him in the the annual, the miniseries. Maybe they'll also have him team up with Batman on Brave and the Bulls. That's it. That'd be interesting. I think he's too tied to the uh, DC animated universe from the '90s, though, to really work with Brave and the Bulls. He's too yeah. so he's too associated with the other animated universe. But then again, we have Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill, Adam West, Julie Newmar all coming into Batman Brave and the Bold 2. So. True. All right, so moving right along, also October 26th, the Dan DiDio questions with Newsrama posted up, and there is actually a decent amount of Batman questions. All right, so as always, Josh will read for Newsarama, and I will read for the great Dan DiDio, who always tends to laugh a little too much and get distracted. We got to see the teaser image of your upcoming run on The Outsiders. The mysterious Superman character looks like it may be Steel. If that is Steel, how do you see him as a character? If this is not Steel, what were your reasons for choosing this particular Superman character? Is it mostly for the shock of a team mostly associated with Batman? Will the team play a larger role in the new Krypton Superman story for the next year? It is definitely not Steel. And the reason we have a Superman-related character in the book is because there are certain events that will take place throughout the DC Universe in 2010 that the Outsiders will be a part of. And this will lead to that story. So the fact that he's got a Superman symbol would imply Dave's right that it involves next year's Superman story. The great thing about Outsiders' story next year is that we start with a lot of ties to the Batman storylines. Then we'll be crossing into Superman and the other events in the DC Universe. Any news yet about who will be doing adventure comics after Jeff Johns and before Levitz? And who is doing art for Levitz? We haven't announced the artist, but as for who will be handling adventure comics between when Jeff leaves and Paul joins, it's actually going to be handled by a few people involved in the Superman writing team. But those stories will tie directly into the events in Superman and Action Comics. Did you say few people or two people? It'll be handled by the writers who are currently involved in Superman action and Supergirl storylines. So that means Greg Rocca, Sterling Gates, and James Robinson, right? Sort of. Mostly, you'll hear about it soon. But I can tell you something about what Paul's doing. Paul will actually be working on three annuals for DC Comics in the beginning of next year. The first one up will be Superman Batman annual that Paul is writing which we're very excited about because it features very interesting characters from beyond, so to speak. Paul's also going to be writing Adventure Comics Annual, which will be setting up for most of his storyline in Adventure Comics. So really, his run kicks off with the Adventure Comics Annual first, then goes into Adventure Comics itself. And as we realize by chatting, I believe that this is the first Adventure Comics Annual ever, which I believe is also very exciting that Paul gets to do that. The third one I don't want to announce yet, because we're a little too far out. Is this Superman-Batman annual at all connected to the changes we're going to see in the Superman-Batman title? It's just a standalone Superman-Batman annual, although it's oversized. Did I mention the word beyond? Oh jeez, I can't believe I didn't pick on that the first time. So, we're talking about Batman Beyond appearing in this annual. Exactly, the story that Paul's writing. Will it tie into the Batman Beyond miniseries that's coming in 2010? No, it's just a standalone story dealing with Batman and Superman and Batman Beyond. One fan wrote in, I'm a big fan of Tim Drake slash Red Robin. I think the direction he's heading right now is great. Even better than Dick's, in my opinion, because he's got a mission. He's truly driven, just as Bruce always was. Exactly. 
Will we be seeing Tim's mission be noticed by the big guns like Superman, Wonder Woman? And is he hopefully a big part of the story of Bruce next year, spanning the entire DC universe? And so far, he's the only one not backing down from believing Bruce is alive. Let's take this from a couple points of view, okay? First is that we wanted to address the fact that we always felt Tim was the greater detective of all the Robins that existed. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's extremely motivated to find the answers here. Whether or not he has, abs- he has absolute belief that Bruce is alive or whether he's holding on desperately to something he wants to believe in is something that plays out over the course of the story. It gives him a little, a little more motivation and a little more heart to what he's doing. But the events that take place and what he finds out does capture and does get totally involved in all the events involving Batman next year and in World's Finest as well. As for Superman Wonder Woman, it does touch upon some things in their world, but both those characters have very big storylines of their own right now that are requiring both of their intention. But as for Tim's involvement in Batman's world, absolutely, front and center throughout 2010. So, that's the end of the questions. Um, surprisingly, no ha-ha-has from him. Essentially, the biggest news I think that came out of this, besides the Batman Beyond thing, was that the Outsiders could possibly be switching over to the Superman side of things in the DCU, which I'm not really understanding that. But It just sounds like they're going to be crossing over with whatever's going to happen, which, if you've been reading the Superman books, my prediction is there's going to be some sort of new Krypton versus Earth War. Well, I think you they always got to find ways to make the Outsiders interesting because it's such a hard title to keep the sales up. So as long as they can keep them in, interesting, that I think that's the main reason why they're doing it. I can't wait to read his first issue. It's going to be like Alfred and Geoforce talking about pants for like three pages. and <laughs> it, It's going to be just like the 20-question interview, the 10 or 20-question interviews with all the tangents and the ha-ha-has. It's only a matter of time. We're closer and closer every time we record an episode. Mm-hmm. All right, so the next thing, October 28th, Sterling Gates uh, talked with Newsarama about the world's finest miniseries, and there's a couple highlights, really only two questions that we're going to cover. So, again, Josh will read for Newsarama, and I will read for Sterling Gates. I think people were concerned when this miniseries was announced that it was going to be too much like Superman, Batman. But this is a little different from a straight-up Superman and Batman team-up series, isn't it? Yeah, it's very different. The Batman universe is so full of change right now, so is the Superman universe. Bruce Wayne is dead, and Superman has left the planet Earth to be with his own people on New Krypton. The world is suddenly without its two greatest heroes. To me, that makes it a very exciting time for the DC Universe. You're seeing new and different characters come to the forefront and stepping up to fill the void left with Superman and Batman gone. Both corners of the DCU have old characters taking on new mantles or new characters taking on old mantles. We wanted to develop a limited series that would pair off these people and see what they were like. World's Finest allows us to spotlight all of these new characters and show how similar or how different they are. This way, we might be introducing a Batman fan to the epic story we're telling in Superman books or showing a Superman reader the exciting and compelling changes that are going on in the Batman books right now. What are the different team-ups we'll see? The first team-up is Nightwing and Red Robin. Nightwing is Chris Kent, Superman's adopted son Tim Drake, now Tim Wayne. Now Tim Wayne is Batman's adopted son. 
So for the first issue, you're literally seeing the next generation of superheroes work together to stop a bigger threat to save lives. And of course, for whatever reason, he never said what the rest of the team-ups were. Yeah, but they're in the solicitations, I believe. Um, I don't remember them off the top of my head, but I do know that it's uh, Supergirl and Batgirl. Because some of the Cassandra Kane fans were complaining, oh, so Stephanie gets a team up with uh, Supergirl after only being Batgirl for a few months. Cassandra never got a team up with Supergirl. And then another fan posted like a issue where they did team up, and that fan well, shut up. Well, see, that's easily that's easy to explain. Is because Stephanie's uh, a lot better. Oh, Apple, you're gonna get all the hate mail. <laughs> all right, so moving along, the next thing we have, which was also that week, October 29th, was the date. Who is the Flamingo? Now, we got a brief mention of the Flamingo in the couple last couple issues of Batman and Robin, but they actually posted a full picture of the Flamingo on the source with a caption from Mike Mart saying, If you think you've met Batman's most dangerous, psychopathic, murderous foe, think again. Meet the new crime in Gotham City, the Flamingo. And they showed the cover to, I'm assuming, Batman and Robin number 6, or an inside page, but I think this is a, I'm pretty sure this is the cover by Frank Quietly. So, the interesting thing is this guy does not look anything like the character that they showed in the end of the book last time around. No, this, well, you gotta admit, though, this guy looks a lot better, though. <laughs> he does, but I don't understand why there's such a difference between the way he looked in the book and the way they're looking, they're making him look now. Besides the fact that it's two different artists. He looks true. like very Leslie true. Nielsen from the new Pink Panther movie. Maybe that's just me. And I think it is. Alright, so moving on. We have an interview that was done on October 30th with Comic Book Resources with Paul Levitz talking about Batman Beyond. So, Josh will read for Comic Book Resources and I will read for Paul Levitz. You're working on a Superman Batman annual as well, featuring Terry McGinnis from Batman Beyond. Were you a fan of the animated series? I enjoyed the series a lot. I enjoyed working with the Warner Brothers animation team tremendously over the years. Very, very good bunch of guys. And of course, I had the opportunity to be involved with a lot of these things from the first stages. I remember sitting there with Alan Burnett and Paul Dini talking about Batman Beyond before the first episode was done. Sort of when they started doing test stuff. When editor... Eddie Berganza approached me about doing next summer's Superman Batman annual. He suggested, why don't you look at the old covers and see if something inspires you? And I thumbed the covers of my childhood and saw that there was a Superman of 2965, and they gave him a matching Batman, and they did a story fighting Muto there, and I said, wait a minute, we have a future Batman and Superman, maybe we could do a trade-off here. And I checked in with Alan and Paul and said, do you mind if I play with your toys, guys? And they said, no, have a party. And it's been a ball. That's the second script I've done coming back to the keyboard. The first thing of real size and weight was a great exercise because I didn't have to untangle the whole DC continuity. I could just watch the animated episodes and remind myself how Bruce and Terry talk to each other and how Superman fit with it and go to work. And it's sitting there in a can, written, ready to go to the artist. Terry has a rabid fan base, but readers that are locked into DCU Comics continuity may not be familiar with him. Does that compound the size and weight of this issue? Yes, but it's also just fun because you're playing with an unexplored theme. A lot of what I've enjoyed in my career as a writer is playing in the corners of the universe. I did some mainstream Superman and Wonder Woman and pretty 
much any of the other characters on some occasion. But the stuff I had the most fun with and stuck with the longest was stuff that was in the future or on Earth 2. Or out somewhere where everything didn't have to fit together. I have profound respect for how the guys are managing to work through a dance as complicated as Blackest Night, but it looks really tricky. I'd like to warm up before I did something like that. Can you tease any details about the story you're telling in the annual? It's hard to give much away without with it being just one issue, but it picks up on the meeting of Batman Beyond and Superman in the old Batman Beyond show. It's that continuity. And I think I counted about seven or eight elements of the DC Universe mythology that I somehow managed to get in for a panel or more, somewhere throughout the process, as much to amuse me more than anything else, but hopefully that amuses the readers as well. It's always tricky with Superman Batman, but is this story set in the current DCU continuity? I don't know. I don't understand in some theory Batman Beyond takes place in Earth-82 at this point. It fits very squarely into Batman Beyond TV show continuity to the extent that it has a logical place in the DC Universe. It fits there, okay? And that is the end of that. I love how he's like, so I once I asked the guys if I could use their characters and play with their toys, and they're like, sure. You're, you're their, like... Big, big, big supervisor. You're, you were like the president of the company. You sh- well, that's the show how far he's... Uh, I wouldn't say fallen, but I don't know any other way to say it. But if the, if the like big, big CEO of where you work, Dustin, came in and asked you permission to do something, even if he was getting a demotion, you're going to say yes. <laughs> you don't... Just, you out, don't, just out of sheer respect. Yeah. I mean, you don't say, even if this guy's getting demoted, he's been your supervisor for so long. <laughs> You know, I, I, I don't, I don't, uh, he, he had talked about continuity where he says, well, you know, it just fits where it kind of just belongs. I, I don't count Batman Beyond into continuity. I honestly don't, I never even grade credit. I liked the show. I enjoyed it. Um, but I never said, okay, that's what's going to happen. But for some reason, I don't know why, but in me, I would, I would never have picked up this book, but for some reason I'm going to pick it up because I want to read it. I don't, I don't know. Is is that the same for you guys? Am I just different like that, or? Well, I always considered Batman Beyond like an alternate future, the future for the animated series. It wasn't like, okay, well, Barbara's definitely going to walk again and become commissioner. Tim's definitely going to go insane. Then you know, Barbara and Bruce are going to become a couple. I, I mean, that's just you know their their own little corner of the stories. I don't. I don't see it as a, a definite continuity. And I think a lot of problems is that, like a lot of the things that they always say is, well, if we put Terry McGinnis into a Batman stories, that means eventually it has to happen like that. And I don't think that's true. I think with these, you know, the hundred worlds that there's, you know, the hundred different Earths that there are, or whatever, there's there's plenty of room to have an alternate universe that has everything that happened in the animated universe. Yeah, I, see, in in that point, I would agree. If it's on a on a different Earth, that that's fine. But it's not going to pertain to the Batman that we know right now, because in the animated series, Josh had kind of you know kind of had led to that. Where in that series, Barbara Gordon is walking. In ours, she's in a wheelchair. And even with the Batgirl relaunch series, that just proved more that she's not getting out of that wheelchair. Ah, so, but you'll wait and see. It's going to happen. Know, right? We're we're just being tricked. <laughs> The fans are telling us. 
All right, so moving along, November 2nd, more Dan DiDio questions, but this time, not as many. So only one question, and as always, Josh will read for Newsrama, and I will read for Mr. DiDio. Royd underscore nine wrote, hi, Mr. DiDio. Hi, Royd. I like when you're friendly in the beginning like that. I feel like I need to respond. Fair enough. Royd9 goes on to ask, Now that the solids for January have been released, can you talk a little bit more about Grant Morrison's Blackest Night storyline for Batman and Robin issue 7, and will it tie in any way into DCU's Blackest Night event? Can I talk more about it? Actually, no. We've even delayed this that issue for a month specifically for it to come out post-Blackest Night number 6. That's one of the reasons that the book got delayed. We looked at it what we were trying to accomplish and even though Batman and Robin number seven was complete we just felt we wanted to hold it because of how the events have unfolded in Blackest Night and how the events unfolded in Batman and Robin number seven there's a clear understanding of how they're tied together but unfortunately I can't go much further than that it has to be saved for the story itself it was not an easy decision. On a business side, it doesn't make sense to put your most successful book on hi- hiatus at the final quarter of the year, but it was so important for those stories to fall in particular order that we decided to move them. It specifically says in the solicitation for Batman and Robin issue 7 that it contains additional clues on the details surrounding the ding-ding death of Bruce Wayne. We've seen Bruce Wayne's skull in Blackest Night. Is that how they were tied together? You know what's funny about this? I have six different puns right now that I'm just chomping to say, but unfortunately, they would give away, they would all give away where the story's going. So I'm just going to have to be quiet on this one. This is very painful, Vanetta. This is very painful. Please move on, please, for God's sake. Really? <laughs> really, Didio? Liar! What a idiot. <laughs> so. I'm not really understanding, number one, what was the point of doing this question in the first place if he wasn't going to answer it, and I'm just not sure why they would have continued to press him on the question if he wasn't going to answer it either and just move on to a different question. They could have gotten an actual answer from him. Because then he wouldn't have been able to be hilarious by saying, oh, I'm going to be polite and say hi back to you. Thank you for saying hi to me. And I was under the understanding that Dan DiDio was picked these questions. If he didn't pick the questions, and he picked, if he doesn't pick the questions, then that's great. But I'm not really understanding what the point of, uh, you know, everyone posting questions if Newsarama picks the questions themselves. And if he does pick the questions, why he picks questions like this? So he could get us excited for Batman and Robin issue seven. Ooh, I wonder what's gonna happen. With yeah, Bruce Wayne's soul. There's going to be so many... There's going to be so many puns that we could say. Alright. Now... Pumped up. As far as news, that's pretty much it for this episode. Um, as always, there's tons and tons of cover previews, uh, previews of the actual comics, art previews and stuff like that that there's no point of talking about because you can't see it and it would take forever to describe it and at this point, the Batgirl covers aren't uh, newsworthy to talk about either so if you want to see all that stuff make sure you're checking out the news daily for all that uh, information as it comes out we know who she is so we don't need to interpret why she's smiling on a cover or sitting down 
Alright, so that's going to move us into trade paperbacks coming out in the next two weeks. So in the next two weeks, we have a couple of different books coming out. On November 18th, we have Batman Battle for the Cowl. The solicitation reads, Collecting the hit Batman miniseries by Tony Daniel and more, following the disappearance of her protector, Gotham City may be too far gone for Nightwing Robin and Commissioner Gordon and the rest of the city's heroes to save the day. Amid the fires, rioting, looting, and gang warfare, one question rings out from the souls of Gotham's desperate citizens. Where is Batman? Don't miss this hardcover featuring Batman Battle for the Cowl number 1 through 3, Gotham Gazette Batman Dead number 1, and Gotham Gazette Batman Alive number 1. This will be 160 pages and 19.99. What I don't understand is why it says Batman Battle for the Cowl, Tony Daniel, but Gazette was not written by Tony Daniel. I love how the solicitation refers to Gotham City as a female. Yeah, that too. Her, That's pretty interesting too. Her protectors, I mean, they always do stuff like the city. It lives, it breathes. But I've never seen them say the city. She's so pretty. So that's the only book coming out in the next two weeks. So look forward to Christmas. Because uh, there's a ton of trade paperbacks coming out in Christmas time frame. So, let's get into our comic book reviews, because we've got a whole ton of them to cover. So, Apple's going to start out with Batman Confidential 35. Okay, guys, so now we go into Batman Confidential 35, and this is the last story in our story arc uh, where Batman has been taking place in Moscow. Okay, and so the book leads off with Bear coming into the living room. That's where we last left off. Okay, and this is where the police, uh, the commissioner in Moscow is... Uh, his family had just been uh, kidnapped, of course, by a bear and uh, the czar's uh, gang. So Batman then, of course, working now with uh, Luxoff, is going to the house, trying to get there as fast and quick as possible before his family gets killed. And so we see some interaction between Czar and his men to go ahead, that bear hesitating to kill the family. And so he's like, well, if you can't do it, you know, I want to I hear that it's been done next time. So then we see Batman just racing to get there. And we see Bear, like, now fighting against this guy, saying, like, he's not going to do it. Takes a bullet for them and really tries to protect them. And Batman comes through and starts getting, <laughs> starts getting some of, uh, of uh, the Czar's men through the window. Bear already had escapes. Escapes goes to Czar's. And he's right there, and Zars is ready to whip him. And, of course, as we saw in the second issue of this story arc where Zars just kept beating him, the bear already wanted to stand up. So Bear stood up to him, and then Batman's already on his way to Zars, go ahead and try to meet up with Bear. Well, when he gets there, Zars is just right there, and he's just looking as calm as can be. Well, Bear comes in, and he starts to pounce on Batman. And Batman starts interacting with him, telling him that he doesn't really have to do this, and that... Uh, Zars really killed his father. So Bear then actually just turns around, really kind of looks like he almost gives up in a way, and then uh, Zars escapes. When Zars escapes, he has to go back to the other bosses, and they're really telling him that he's really like on his own. They take it out on him, shoot him, well, shoot his dog, really. And as they go as they go through, Batman then shows up and really says, you know, you are you are really truly alone. 
Zars takes out his whoop and he's going to go ahead and try to hit Batman. And Zars really just says, he goes, all right, American, you win. So then we see Batman head back to the mansion. Uh, he's back in Gotham City. And then Alfred's just telling him about uh, Moscow. So in Moscow, we then see the the mobsters again out in the snow and they're looking. And then the guy comes back with the message. And he's uh, he's like, really, the bear is now becoming what Batman is to Gotham what the bear is going to now be into Moscow. And really, that's <laughs> that's the whole story for Batman Confidential, issue 35. Uh, now we're going to head into issue 3 of 6 for Batman The Winding Gear. Okay, issue 3, of course, kicks off where Batman had tried to come in, and he just came in and interrupted a cannibal just trying to eat. Of course, uh, what do cannibals eat? Of course, they eat other people. And so he's right there, and then he's talking to Batman, and it's like if Batman's talking back to him. But Batman has a, a, a certain toy <laughs> uh, stuff in his mouth, and he's hung up and tied up with Christmas lights. And uh, he then comes in, and he's really talking to Batman. You can tell he's really psychotic. And then he hits Batman cause for disturbing his dinner, and which is really funny because Batman couldn't even talk. And he goes, nobody's coming to save you. And as that moment comes, we then see Tim Drake at the top. And he's going to pounce on this guy. So when he comes in, uh, he then just actually saves Batman. And so he comes in and he's like, you know, Tim Drake's like, you know, you should really tell me like where you're going. And Batman is like, uh, yes, dad. <laughs> and so uh, he's like trying to see this the situation that Batman is going through right now. And of course, of course, Batman is starting to have these feelings for a girl. So Batman then takes off and this concludes for a couple of pages where Batman just goes back and forth interacting with what he now calls his girlfriend. And so they go back and then we see a certain character that relates almost to, I guess, a Marvel character you could type, say. And so they're going through the rooftops and a really cool shot of the 66 Batmobile in here. But as he's going through, he catches this criminal that, you know, almost looks like someone else. And so then we see Batman's maybe a partner in crime. We then see him take down, help Batman with this character. And of course, Batman then looks at him and says, you know, are you local? And he goes, uh, I'm not, I'm not a native from Gotham. Sorry to say. And then, um, he goes, then why Gotham? So he's asking this guy that has been appearing and helping him every so often. And so he explains himself, Batman, of course, you know, Batman already, already knows the clues, of course, Batman's the greatest detective in the world. And he starts, you know, already coming into why this guy's doing this. He's the, the sort of comparisons with his bow to like Hunt, Huntress's bow. And he's really trying to get a, a feeling of this character. If he's going to be a good guy, is he going to be an ally for him within Gotham? And he tells him, you know, all Gotham can always use heroes, really. And so, you know, he just right there. And so Batman doesn't really, really tell him bye. And he just really kind of accepts that that guy is going to be around helping. So Batman, of course, Bruce Wayne is on the jet plane and he's going off to see his girlfriend. And he goes back, deals with the villains of Gotham, then goes back and spends time with his girlfriend. And what's really funny in about in this issue is because whenever you see him uh, going after Harley Quinn, it looks like she's coming out of a jack-in-the-box. On the dollar bills, it says, why so serious, which is a nice reference to the Dark Knight. And then we see Batman going back to, well, Bruce Wayne going back 
to see his girlfriend again. And then Aquaman shows up and Aquaman says that we heard screaming, you know, and <laughs> and he just shows up like on a, a, a big unicorn well type thing. And uh, he's like, we heard screaming. And he's like, he goes, no, I'm just swimming. Can I just swim? <laughs> So I thought that was pretty cool, the interaction between Bruce and Aquaman. He goes, a girlfriend? Really? <laughs> he goes, oh, man. And then he tells everyone that uh, he goes, he goes, contact John. He won the bet. <laughs> so then we see that. And then we see uh, a picture of the Titans. And, and what seems to be going on in this issue is where Batman reflects back on his relationship with Dick. And so going through there, you see the Teen Titans fighting and then Dick Grayson really telling him, you know, you never compliment me. You never just say, you know, that's good. And so he's just like, he goes, I know you're proud of me, but he goes, you know, just sometimes he really wants to hear that. And that, you know, Robin is his own own hero, too. And so it looks like Bruce is just coming to terms with moving on, really. And he's being okay with it. Uh, we see him. We see him just reacting with his girlfriend. Of course, Aquaman then spies on him again, and then uh, it, it ends with you know with that the saying of Aquaman saying he goes now I got to call Ollie and tell him John just won the pool. So <laughs> so he just leaves seeing Bruce happy, and of course it leaves off with uh, to be continued. And so now we go into Superman and Batman issue number sixty five, which was a Halloween special. And in this special, we course see Superman, and he's going to save the day. But actually, the the Boeing seven forty seven actually crashes into the woods, and he races down, and he sees Lois, and Lois just looks dead right there. And you're like, what? Well, the next panel actually leads you into wondering now what's going on. And you see Scarecrow right there. And he has Superman. He has Batman. He has the Joker. And he has Lex Luthor. And they're all lying down. But in the next panel, you start seeing the it looks like the 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 toxins that he usually spells out for his fear toxin. And so it says, Happy Halloween, Sweet Dreams. So now you can now understand that these stories are like... Uh, these these characters dreams of what's going on and you see joker he looks like he's in a circus and he's doing all his normal tricks and he's like just it looks like he's killing murdering and everything and he's happy but the thing is that the audience laughs back and he goes it's not a joke so what's funny to him is actually going to be funny to everybody but that's not the joker it's only supposed to be funny to him so it's like becoming his nightmare now Okay, so the next panel goes into uh, the Daily Planet. And so in the Daily Planet, we then see everyone conversing. It looks like an around a huddle. And it looks like that uh, Superman is there giving an interview to Lois Lane. And then Lo- everyone starts saying, you know, Lois would do anything for a story. And so they were like, well, where's Jimmy? He needs to take the pictures. And then he comes in, and then we see a, a bald head come in. And you can kind of tell already that's Lex Luthor. Perry then looks at him, and he then sees Lex come up to him, and Lex trying to yell at him. But Perry then comes back and says, why don't you really do your job? And he looks, Lex Luthor is Jimmy Olsen. And it's, everyone starts laughing, and Perry just gets, him all, gets on him and everything. And Superman comes out, and Lois Lane comes out, and they're all smiling and everything, which looks very funny. He's, Lex Luthor's dressed up like Jimmy Olsen. And so we go then go back to the the, cemetery, the Gotham Cemetery, and then we can see Scarecrow's story. 
And Scarecrow then looks at one of the thugs that one of his hired thugs that was helping him, and he says, "Well, you know, four coffins. That's cool. Well, you know, who's the fifth one for, boss?" And he goes, "Funny you should ask." And then, of course, he wraps uh, a, a mask over him and. It looks like he's really just choking him. And uh, then it pans into the Cape Crusader story. And he's right there working out. And he goes, I mean, he goes, uh, Alfred tells you, you know, breakfast has been served. And he goes, Madam Selena has asked that you arrive before food gets cold. He goes, Selena worries too much. So now it leads to Sel- he's married to Selena Kyle. We then go and there's Bruce Wayne's son. And we also see uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne there. And they're just right there just talking at the at the table. And then it looks like a bat comes down and is just dead. And he goes, Alfred, what's this? And he goes, just remember, Master Bruce, of the way things should be. And, of course, you see Alfred with the Tommy gun and he just murders everyone. He, he murders Selena. He murders a young um, Bruce and Selena's kid. He kills Martha Wayne, and uh, he's just right there, and he's looking like Thomas is still alive, and Alfred's just like talking to him like all psychotic, and he tells him, you know, this this is the way we should be. It's our fate, and he goes, you must do it, and he gives him a handgun to blow Thomas Wayne's brains out, and so the panel leads to where it just says, blam. That was a cool story, too, (laughs) and then Bruce wakes up, and he's like, no, and he shakes off. Uh, Scarecrow's fear toxin he goes after Scarecrow and of course he's uh, Superman right there and Batman is just going after uh, Scarecrow and it looks like Scarecrow is going to get some of his own medicine and then um, it, Superman thinks that Batman is going to kill Scarecrow and he's like no Batman and he goes let these nightmares be over all of them he then sees Joker and Lex Luthor starting waking up from the coffins and then we see Scarecrow's nightmare where he's actually looking like it's in Alice in Wonderland and he's like the scarecrow. And uh that's the end for Superman and Batman number sixty five. Happy Halloween. Let it be said that all that they would have had to have done was given Alfred a raise when he asked the first time. And they could have just had a and they could have just had a peaceful breakfast. This is the oh, the way it was always was. <laughs> the way it all Yeah that's what I would say too if I was a butler who decided to murder the family I was working for. Well, another Superman Batman book, but not quite in the traditional sense, is uh, the, but it does have the same name of the traditional series, the World's Finest Miniseries, where we're going to be pairing off various members of the new Batman and Superman family. And this first one uh, teams us up with Nightwing and Red Robin, but Nightwing is no longer Dick Grayson, as those of you who read the Superman books know. So Red Robin, he's in Amsterdam fighting some bikers, and he gets some assistance from somebody that uses uh, the tactile telekinesis thing. So at first, he Tim's like, oh, thanks, Connor, but it's not Connor. It is uh, Chris Kent in the Nightwing armor. Now, we're cut back. Uh, Penguin and the Kryptonite Man have captured uh, the new version of Flamebird, and she's being held in a special cage, and Kryptonite Man's using his powers to kind of keep her subdued. And then we go back to uh, Chris and Red Robin. Now, Chris Kent gives backstory on who he is, and I'll give you guys a brief, you know, Chris Kent 101, because you haven't read the Superman books. He's General Zod's son. He was born in the Phantom Zone, so his powers are work a little differently. He was in a Superman story from a few years ago, and he was about like five to ten years old or so in that story. And he actually met Tim back then when Tim was Robin. That's how he remembered him. But he got sucked back into the Phantom Zone. 
Um, he's been in the Superman books recently, teaming up with the new Flamebird, and they've been calling themselves Nightwing and Flamebird, and they've been wearing, uh, you know, armor to hide the fact that they're Kryptonian, even though it's kind of hard to hide when they're using their powers like that. So, and he's basically uh, giving him up to speed on, you know, how he's now Nightwing and how uh, his partner, Thera, a.k.a. Flamebird, has been captured. Tim's reluctant to help them. He's like, I'm working on a missing persons case, which is what the real Batman should be doing right now. But Chris eventually convinces them. So they fly to Gotham. And uh, over in Gotham, Kryptonite Man and Penguin are having some fun with Thera. They are, uh, he's doing enough Kryptonite on her to keep her in constant pain. But not enough to kill her. He's like, yeah, I'm just using some precision. So Nightwing and Red Robin, eventually, it's so weird calling Chris Nightwing, by the way, especially when I'm doing a Batman review. When I say Nightwing, I'm thinking Dick Grayson. I know you guys are too. But they uh, see Thera getting auctioned. And Red Robin holds off all the criminals. And boy, there's lots of criminals shooting them, and including Penguin. Until Chris shows up with a bunch of liquid lead, which he pours all over Kryptonite Man. That way uh, it won't affect him or Thera. And then fries it on him. Then, uh, so, uh, but when the smoke and everything all clears, Kryptonite Man's gone, and, uh, so Tim's talking to Thera and Chris, and he makes off with a 200-year-old letter, and they're like, well, what do you need that for? And he's like, it's all a part of the greater puzzle. And then, uh, Thera and Chris fly away, thinking about how disturbed Tim is, and it's like, funny, he was saying the same thing about us before. We cut to Kryptonite Man, who's been captured by Toy Man and his new sidekick, Toy Boy, and boy, they have plans for him. And that's the end of part one. Okay, and that's going to take us into issue one of Azrael. Of course, this was written by Fabian Arise and uh, drawn by Roman Box. We see then a priest having uh, a child right there, of course, uh, serving the father, and it leads into uh, the father then going down to. It looks like the basement, and we see kids working. Well, a kid working. So then it goes into a panel of now where it's in Gotham City now. And, of course, you see then some thugs, and they're like, what the? And Azrael's coming down, the new Azrael, of course, coming down. And then it leads into an – it looks like an interrogation. And a, the, uh, a gentleman describes to him, he says, yes, Officer Ferrali. That's Michael Lane. Michael Lane is the new Azrael. And so uh, as they're investigating him, he's like, okay, he, you know, he's a vigilante. And, of course, we see Azrael in the next panel taking out, of course, doing the justice part. And then they actually reference the original Azrael. And he describes, he goes, uh, he goes, no, he goes, this is a different nut job <laughs> altogether. And so Azrael's taking out the, uh, the thugs. And one part I want to read because it's really cool is that Lane was a soldier, then a cop. He was recruited as part of a secret program to train a, to train a replacement for Batman, I guess. And so we then see Azrael, of course, taken out. He goes, you see heaven and you feel hell. And, of course, as you know, he's dispatched justice. Azrael then takes down the criminals. He takes off, goes back through Gotham City, goes back to where it looks like he's where he's retreated into an, uh, a house, uh it looks like a house, maybe an apartment type, and uh, really looking and discussing like what has happened. And of course, uh, talking about uh, Sister Elizabeth Knuckles, the nun who was mugged, and what he had did to the gentleman just then. Goes back to the interrogation where Farley's interrogating this guy, trying to find out as much information from him. Uh, Azrael then comes down. It almost looks like it's. It looks like as part of a castle almost. And uh, we then see a cop. It says, hey, freeze. Hits the cop. Doesn't kill him. Um, just really just 
taking him down, uh, goes through. And while he's going through, he then we then see that there was a, a cop that they were actually uh, talking to. And so he goes right there, uh, beat, beats him up, and he goes to the sisters. Of course, he sees the, the nun sitting there. And um, that uh, Azrael then pans out, and he goes, but I need, I need to know the truth about the man who, who was murdered in your mission tonight. And then, of course, he describes that Adrian, the victim's real name, wasn't William Green, call Father Day. Tell him I'm coming to see him. And so uh, Asriel then, of course, just takes off. And then as we see, he t- draws a sword, but it's Batman. Batman is right there. And he goes, he goes, uh, he goes, I know what you're standing for. You know, is it something I can help with? And he goes, no, but thanks. And he goes, it goes, uh, he goes, that he knows the killer's M.O. And he goes, he goes, are you going to be stopping this tonight? And he goes, maybe. Or because, you know, he's working his way down the the end of the list. So as he looks, we go back to the, the it looks like a church. And uh, you see Michael Lane talking to uh, Father Garrett right there. Michael Lane then takes off and he's going to consult uh, with the his sister-in-law. And as we last read from the the... Azriel stories uh, beforehand is that he last slept with his sister-in-law, but his brother already had passed away. So he's right there, and she's like, "I don't want to talk about it, please. I don't want to talk about it." And he goes like, "No, I don't. I don't want to talk about it." He goes, "He goes. I just want to ask you something." He goes, "If you knew someone was doing the wrong thing for the right reasons, what would you do?" And she, of course, she goes, "I don't know. You know, of course." just thinking trying to look for someone to talk to and uh he goes yeah she and then she also describes that when they were last driving in the car the the young nephew had mentioned that that it looked like a batman type but he said no that's michael lane and of course as we remember from the when we last saw Azrael in battle for the cow that's when uh they had described that it was their uncle of course he was one of the batmans so then we see uh we pan out and then we see uh, it says the the client satisfaction achieved, and he goes, "Good, that's good." He goes, "I hope he suffered," and it said he died. And he's looking down at the picture of the of the priest, and he goes, "Good," and he goes, "The only target left now, sir. Then you can rest easy." And so we then see Michael Lane waiting for this other gentleman coming in. And, of course, this other gentleman coming in that's coming in from Dublin. It looks like maybe another uh, henchman-type, assassin-type guy coming in. He then sees a 747 flying off. And so it then pans out to, of course, uh, Michael Lane coming in, talking, and uh, just really trying to go through the events that are just like transpiring right now and then it says uh six months six days and six hours later the church is burned down for they show up and when they get inside sergeant bullock looks around and he's like he you know it's funny you know farley that you're always here and so they see a blood a stream of blood coming through and he goes we already bag tagged the evidence and he goes so you know he tells him really he goes uh how about this and the last panel, we see what looks like to be Michael Lane strung up on the cross, almost a la Jesus Christ. And he goes, we're calling it a suicide. And you see Azrael's whole costume, the swords, uh, the mask, the, the whole uniform at the bottom of the cross. And then it says con- continued. And that's where we live off for Azrael number one. All right.
So let's move along into Arkham Reborn number one. Now, as we start out in the book, Arkham is, uh, Dr. Jeremiah Arkham is standing in front of Bruce Wayne, Kate Spencer, Commissioner Gordon, Aaron Cash, and his new assistant director, Alice Sinner. Now, what's interesting is I'm assuming this Bruce Wayne is uh, Tommy Elliot, you know, disguised as Bruce Wayne, since how else would it happen? But they don't address that at all, which is fine, because this is from the perspective of Jeremiah Arkham. So he shows them the new Arkham Asylum, which is built like a psycho man designed it, with uh, the main entrance being a person's mouth. Uh, yeah, pretty crazy. Anyway... So he takes them inside. He's showing them, you know, the the uh, new places where they're going to have the patients housed, and he calls them suites. And he says, "Well, the accommodations feature a living space, a bathroom, and a sleeping area. What else would you call them?" And so he starts showing them the rooms, and the rooms are actually pretty interesting. They have a gymnasium, they have therapy booths, swimming pool, state-of-the-art kitchens. Um, so then he takes them to their office and he shows them that each and every single room has a camera in it that he can watch what the, you know, person in the crim the criminal is doing at all times. They also have one-way glass, um, so that they have no idea that he's watching them at all. They continue on and they come to one of the specific suites, per se, and they're, this is Clayface's uh, suite, and it's Basil Carlo. And they say, um, he asks them, how are you finding your new home? And he says, there's a parental lock on my internet. I'm tw over 21, Doc, and you're not my daddy. And he says, well, if you let me know the sites you'd like to visit, I'll see what I can do. But my policy is to restrict access to sexual or violent content. And then Basil says, forget it. Then we see Killer Croc, who obviously was also captured very recently by the Outsiders, and he starts talking to Aaron Cash about how he goes, uh, you look mighty tasty, keeping in mind that Aaron Cash had his hand chopped off by Killer Croc. Well, at that point, Aaron Cash decides to hit a button on some remote that he has, which fries Killer Croc, I guess like a taser, but a remote taser. And he says, well, I wanted to give a demonstration of what we did. We implanted a chip into their brain so we can track and incapacitate them with the press of a button. Now, my problem with that is, didn't we just see that happen? Black Mask did that to people, and then they all escaped, and they were trying to get rid of the chips inside them. Why would they do this all over again? And honestly, how are these criminals ever actually going to escape if they have these chips embedded in their head? Anyway, everyone leaves, and they start going into a, uh, a new patient that they're going to start dealing with. Arkham and uh, this new assistant, Al Sinner, are going to deal with this guy known as the Raggedy Man, where basically he takes souvenirs from his victims and makes a costume with them. And so they have this box that has the costume in it, and it also has a can opener. So they start talking to this Raggedy Man, and he says he doesn't want to talk at all. And they give him the costume, he goes and puts it on, and all of a sudden he starts talking. So they ask him about his grandma, and they said, and he fi they find out that his grandma actually locked him into the basement for days and days and days, and sometimes weeks at a time, and would leave him with nothing but a can opener and a bunch of cans of peaches. And he would eat peaches. After the therapy session is over, they talked about the can opener, and 
Al Sinner says something about the can opener to this raggedy man guy in Arkham says, you shouldn't have talked about the can opener. And she goes, why? Because it was the thing he murdered his grandma with. So then it goes into a back history of Alice Sinner and who she is. And it turns out her parents were cult leaders who insisted that the world was coming to an end. And when the world didn't come to an end, they convinced everybody to drink the crazy Kool-Aid. They drank the crazy Kool-Aid. Everybody in the place drank the Kool-Aid except for her. And then she changed her name to Alice Sinner. Um, then she goes to a festival of masks, which, of course, who else would she bump into other than Black Mask? And you find out that she's working with Black's Black Mask. Um, then we cut back to the show, or cut back to Arkham Asylum, where Doctor Arkham's going into his restricted area, into his special wing, where the people that we first saw back in the Arkham Asylum one shot during Battle for the Cowl. Uh, no face, hamburger later, mirror man are all in this little area. So he talks to them. Then we cut back to um, Alice Sinner in her office, and she's about to turn what Amadeus Arkham envisioned his place to be into something really crazy. So she does something, and this Raggedy Man character, his cell opens up, and suddenly he's going through some crazy. I don't know, hallucination or something. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but it's a bunch of baby dolls saying, Raggedy, Raggedy, Raggedy Man. Ain't he a funny old Raggedy Man? So, it's interesting because if this was made specifically to Amadeus's specifications, I guess it could have had some other ways of solving these people's insane problems. And that is Arkham Reborn quick note too: the costume party where it's like oh there's a joker there's the black mask in the dc universe wouldn't that basically be like the equivalent of us going to a costume party dressed as like hitler or another or osama bin laden yeah but people do it yeah like i i don't understand that okay that takes us into uh, the next issue of outsiders um it's continuing our story where the outsiders are paired up each searching for different arkham escapees and uh this issue focuses on uh halo creeper and katana they're searching for killer croc over in louisiana but they find man bats or rather he finds them and he starts attacking them in the aftermath of man bats first attack uh katana and uh creeper realize that halo is missing and then Manbat returns again and picks up Creeper, so they're fighting in the air while Katana keeps on looking for Halo. And boy, is Creeper being violent. He's, like, pulling blood out of Manbat. He's stabbing him and stuff. Creeper is really brutal. He should have picked up Katana instead, although she has her swords. Katana finds Halo underwater with Killer Croc, and they have a battle which gets a little bloody, too. She's using her swords and everything, stabbing them. Eventually, Manbat and Creeper crash into the swamp, and the two battles kind of merge, and the others are knocked out. Croc and Manbat talk, and they each think that the Outsiders were looking for them. Manbat's like, yeah, my wife Francine was with them. I want them to leave me alone. I like being a bat now. So they decide to work together. Creeper gives Katana CPR, and when she wakes up, she is not amused or happy about that at all. But Manbat sends a swarm of bats after them, and they keep on biting them, and it's funny, Creeper's like, bite them back, and he's biting the bats. Creeper's really good this issue. Halo comes in to save the day and uses her light powers to subdue the bats and to irradiate Killer Croc, but Manbat gets away. 
So they have Killer Croc captured, and he's being held in a special uh, chair in a vehicle that they're driving back. And he's playing head games with Killer. Killer Croc is playing head games with Creeper, saying, "You should let me go. Come on, you're just a creep. They're never going to accept you." And you can see that it's kind of getting the Creeper a little bit. We then get a cliffhanger where we join up with the rest of the Outsiders, and Geoforce uh, gets visited by uh, a very special friend, uh, his sister Tara. But as you guys know. Terra's been dead since the Judas contract in the 80s, so this is the zombified version of Terra from Blackest Night, and that's our cliffhanger for the issue, which, by the way, makes no sense, because the zombified version of Terra from Blackest Night was ripped apart, piece to piece, in Blackest Night Titans. Just saying. Alright, so moving into Batman Streets of Gotham number 5, we start off with a priest who is about to take charge of a congregation here in Gotham, and... The other priest is about to retire and says to him, I want you to understand this is not a city, this is Gotham. Um, You want your faith to be tested, your faith will be tested to no limits. So the title of the story is Leviathan, and we start off with Manbat and Huntress fighting each other on top of the roofs of Gotham, and they keep going back and forth, and when suddenly, right as Huntress is about to smack man bat across the face with their staff he flies off towards a giant crowd of people and we come back to the priest we find out on his very first night in Gotham he gets stabbed then we go back and we're at Oracle's headquarters which also to most people are known as the Batcave but I guess uh, this one didn't get the memo but <laughs> they uh, they're talking, or she's talking to Huntress over there and saying, remember, do not hurt him, do not hurt him. Batman's on one side of the town trying to get the serum, all Robin's on the other side of town trying to get Langstrom's wife. Huntress says, that's fine, but do you realize I think he's pretty much trying to kill me and kill everyone else? Uh, so then we cut back to the actual scene where she's chasing Manbat through the crowd of people, Manbat's about to attack some girl when she decides, you know, I have to use lethal options now because this is just getting a little ridiculous. So she shoots him in the back with an arrow. He sees her, comes storming at her, and we cut back to the priest, who we go through a bunch of different things. Um, we get the we, we, we find out that his faith is being tested by numerous things that happen in Gotham City, including the clench virus, the cataclysmic earthquake, the no man's land... And then finally, the evil gods that invaded from another planet. Um, Then they said his fear started to weather as soon as the word was that Batman was dead and that the Leviathan tried to burn his faith down. So we cut back to Man Bat, who's carrying Huntress across the rooftops again and drops her. She catches herself on the side of a building. They fight it off, when suddenly, right as they're about to fight off, Manbat decides he's going to fly away again. So what does she do? She jumps on his back and rides him throughout the sky of Gotham. She starts stabbing him in the back with these arrows, and he's about to fall. Well, then we cut back to the present day with this priest, who's sitting in his church, praying to God, saying, I need something, please tell me something. If you're testing me, please let me know. I need your guidance. When suddenly, Manbat and Huntress fall through the skylight of the church right into the middle of the church. Then suddenly, 
The priest hears some voice telling him that he has to kill the beast and the harlot to prove his devotion to him. And the priest says, thank you. So that's where that ends off. But then we go into the co-feature, which features Manhunter. Manhunter sitting at a pool in Los Angeles with her child and some guy. And I really wish I knew who the guy was, but I don't know enough about Manhunter to know who he is. And they're talking about different things as far as uh, what's going on in Gotham, how things are going in Los Angeles. And they are talking about this, this, this guy, whoever she's talking to, I'm assuming is gay because he has a partner. And his partner is somebody in the JSA, which makes me want to know who he is even more, but I still do not know. Um, then she gets a phone call on her iPhone, of all things, from Harvey Bullock who tells her something's going on. She says she's not going to leave yet. She's still got a few hours left in Los Angeles. Then we cut back to Gotham City, where there's a bartender being told a story by some guy. You don't know who the guy is, but you find out he makes all kinds of different devices for different criminals, including Penguin, Mad Hatter, Riddler, and including Joker. Well, one time Joker tells him he wants to, him to make some pencils that have Smilex gas hidden in the pencils, so as soon as the pencils are sharpened, they release the gas, because Joker wants to give them to the schools right before school starts. <laughs> so this guy leaves, and he throws up over the side of the pier and decides he's going to go to the FBI and tell them. He does that. They give him a new life, and suddenly he finds himself on the good side of things. So, he... Uh, they show man manhunter coming to him to I guess make him a new make a new staff for him. Then he says even did some heroics myself. Now what's weird is it shows Black Mask and Firefly, but I have no idea what either one of those are because I'm assuming this guy is not Black Mask or Firefly. He says he started to have a nice life until he found out his ex and her kid were killed by Joker, so he comes back to Gotham. Then the bartender who he's telling the story to says, Why are you telling me all this? And he says, Because. And then all of a sudden Two-Face shows up and says, I'll take care of this, don't worry. Flips the coin, it's the bad side, and says, The bartender says, Wait, you said because. Because what? And he says, Because. You'll never be able to tell anyone else, as Two-Face shoots him in the head. So this was at the Rogues Gallery Pub. What a funny name. It's almost as if Paul Dini wrote that. Um, and... Kate Spencer pulls up, meets Harvey Bullock, and they walk in and see a bunch of dead people and says, so there's no witnesses, but uh, we know it was Two-Face. And she goes, well, how do you know that? And he says, because he left you a message. And then she makes a snappy little remark saying, why couldn't he have just used Facebook? And it ends up, it was a piece, uh, a copy of the newspaper that says, D.A. Spencer declares war on Two-Face with a picture of her with blood all over it, making her a Two-Face says, your move, sweetheart. That is to be continued. All right, that takes <laughs> us into Gotham City Sirens. When we last left things, um, an angry, spurned Joker uh, tried to blow up the apartment that Harley, Quinn, Poison Ivy, and Catwoman all share together. We begin this issue. Ivy grabs one of her cactuses and magically makes it grow faster. I actually have in my notes here. Magically makes it grow faster, in parentheses, lame, and then pops it. 
and which the water puts out the blaze that the Joker's attack last issue caused. So Catwoman and Ivy are like, yeah, yeah, we need to take her out. We need to take the Joker out once and for all. And Harley's like, oh, but he's my pudding. But they eventually get her to agree, which is really weird that Catwoman's willing to do murder so quickly because when she killed Black Mask or supposedly killed Black Mask, uh, she had lots of guilt about that, but whatever. They hire uh, someone called the Carpenter to renovate their ruined hideouts, and there's a little quick aside there where she gives them the estimate. And it's like, wow, you're a criminal in more ways than one. Well, we cut to our Joker, who's celebrating Harley Quinn's supposed death, and uh, the girls find the Joker's hideouts, and this is where he stores some of the stuff from his cornball days, like the old Joker mobile, just stuff that he used in like the Golden and Silver Age, some of the wacky stuff. And Harley's talking about how one time the Joker took her out in that Joker mobile, and some people were making fun of it, and the Joker shot them. And Harley always felt guilty about that because Joker didn't want to use that car again. But Harley was like, please let me ride it. Well, the Joker hears the girls on the roof. And he shoots at them, thinking that he's finally killed them, but Ivy's vines come down, which kind of panics him. So they come face-to-face with him, and Harley realizes that this isn't actually the Joker, but the girls won't listen to her because they think that she's chickening out on killing him, so they kind of gag her with some of Ivy's plants. So during the battle, Harley finally is able to break free and say that it's not the Joker, that it's Gaggy, and then Catwoman and Ivy, and... About 80% of the people reading the comic book are like, wait, who's Gaggy? And they're given some exposition that Gaggy was Joker's original sidekick and best friend. And this was actually a character that was in one or two of the old issues. Uh, we'll try and post something about that on the message board at one point. So he puts a tra- He opens a trap door and Catwoman falls in and she's surrounded by hyenas. Then he tries to poison Ivy, no pun intended, but she's like, yeah, I'm immune. But then he blows some bubblegum at her, which suffocates her. And then he knocks her out. And then he turns his attention to Harley. And he does not like Harley because Harley basically took his, her, his place as the Joker's sidekick. And he thinks that she's a disgrace of the name Joker. And he lunges at her, getting ready to stab her. And that's our cliffhanger for this issue of Gotham City Sirens. All right, so that's going to take us into Batman 692, which ends the horror... Which no, not ends. Starts a new chapter of the Batman story and gets rid of the horrific thing that we had to deal with with Judd Winnick. Um, okay, so the name of this story is Life After Death, and we start off in Gotham City, where Batman is with a bunch of false faces. He's trying to figure out exactly what's going on, and he finds a fedora who he assumes is a message left for the Black Mask, or for me, but he doesn't know. Now, this fedora, to me, I don't know about everybody else, but to me, it seems like it'd be a dead shot thing, but uh, that's just me. But anyway, so then he runs into Commissioner Gordon, who tells him that there are some different things having happening with Dr. Arkham, and Dr. Arkham is doing some uh, new procedures, but he's not, you know, he's not... He's trying to figure out who brainwashed these different people. Um, turns out a lot of the people who have been becoming these false faces are just normal people who have been brainwashed. So Batman walks off, and we get a nice little comment from Commissioner Gordon who says, or Batman asks Commissioner Gordon, he goes, the masks I've examined show no signs of toxin or air filters, but I'd like to take this one back to my lab 
to compare. And Batman's and Commissioner Gordon says Batman doesn't need to ask my permission, which is really interesting because that just proves that once again it's not the real Batman. Then we cut to two days later at Wayne Tower where Dick Grayson is swimming in the swimming pool, and Selina Kyle is laying on a chair next to the pool. And they have a little interchange where basically he says, I want you to find out what's going on with Black Mask. And I want you to find out what's going on and where he's at. And she goes, well, that doesn't, uh, that's not something that's free. It's going to cost you. Wire 25000 to my account. He goes, you're nuts. And she says, well, I believe Alfred still has my Swiss bank account on file. I'll wait for your answer. So needless to say, this isn't the first time this happened. So then we cut to a scene where we have... So we move on to the next scene, which has Hugo Strange talking to the current Fright about these lunatics that they have that they have been doing some experiments on. And we find out Dr. Death has a treatment. We haven't seen Dr. Death in quite some time either. And Black Mask is working with Dr. Death, Hugo Strange, and Fright. Um... Well, Fright has a problem with being around Dr. Death. She breaks out and gets all weird. Anyway, so the whole idea is that they're going to bring the original... They're going to bring somebody back from the dead or something like that. So then we have Batman and Catwoman meet up. Batman, Catwoman tells Batman exactly where Black Mask's hideout is. Then we find out that something's going on out in... This weird spot in front of, uh, out in the outside, outskirts of Gotham City. And they do a little back history of what happened with the crime, the Falcone crime family. We find out Batman is actually going to this house where the person, this, the son of Falcone, Mario Falcone, was the guy who uh, turned his family in, essentially, um, is back in town and he's there. And the entire Falcone family is gone, but Mario, the last time everyone knew, he was institutionalized in Chicago, and now he's back in Gotham. So he tells Batman, this is uh, my uh, private property, I'd like you to get off of it, I can't believe you're here after everything that I did, which was essentially turning into his family. Then we switch back to Catwoman, who's stealing some stuff from inside the Falcone house, and she see somebody sees her. And it's a girl named Katrina, which is, I find them unique, Kitrina, Katrina, like, uh, you know, somebody from the 60s TV show, maybe. Um, but uh, Mario says, where do you think you're going? You're not going anywhere. So then we cut back to where we saw, which is called Devil's Square, which is where Black Mask, Doctor Death, Hugo Strange, and this fright are. And you find out that they are actually rising the original Fright from the dead. And, or I guess not from the dead, but doing something so that he can be brought back to life. And this guy is originally from World War II. He was part of uh, a Nazi concentration camp because he was a Jew. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And Black Mask hands him his original scythe. And that is the end of Batman 692. Okay, and that's going to take us into Batman Confidential, issue 36, the start of a new storyline. Uh, within here, we see that it's taking place right now at the Blackhawk uh, 
laboratories in uh, San Juan Islands. And so it looks like they're doing experiments. You see uh, a Rapture 22 jet uh, enter, and then uh, you see them just trying to do some high maneuvers in the sky with this plane. And so then you see Bruce coming in, as you can kind of guess now. Bruce Wayne is being, I guess, uh, sort of funder for this. And as they're there, they're doing... uh, the the airplane um, experiments in the sky and as the airplane goes in through the sky a black fog sits in and then the skies are just overtaken black and then you even see like a skeleton enter and uh with in in the sky and it looks like just kind of like death coming out and then you see some mr smith's bf 109s which were german fighter planes coming out of the sky with thunder and that looked really cool they blow the uh, the the raptor 22 jet like out of the sky and they're like um they go we got you know we got technical difficulties and then uh they say mr wayne and then the, uh, like explosion just comes in and then you see um uh, uh it looks like a old 40s type uh uh i guess army fighter kind of guy stepped right through uh this smoke and he enters the the laboratories and uh he starts taking the place of course demanding information uh asking for information through the mainframe uh recognizes the guy and he goes you you there li chang your father was we chang he goes we chang was my uncle and he goes uh he gets him to try to get him the mainframe and he goes he goes i he goes um to make certain that he will he he then takes out his gun and points it at one of the other employees and blows his brains out. And of course he's like, Oh, he goes, uh, Gaynor, your name is Theodore Gaynor. He, 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 uh, he remembers him. And of course, as he's standing there and he goes, excellent. He goes, please input the, the password nephew of we chain. And so then we, then pan out, we see, uh, uh, Bruce change into the Batman costume and he's overhead sees what's transpiring comes down attacks the the guys that had just came in and they of course they start shoot they start shooting him uh and they start shooting the whole place up as they go through we then see uh the men escape through the top of the the laboratories take off into the the black blog the black sky that was right there and batman just looks up and it's like you know they they just like vanish it then pans over to the Black Hawk headquarters, and of course, Batman's right there talking about they attended the funeral services for the gentleman that had passed. And so, uh, Batman then uh, really wants to talk to the who's the the lead for uh, for uh, the Black Hawk organization, and he goes, "Do you know the man who attacked you know the laboratories?" And um, he goes, he was, he, he resembled Theodore Gaynor, a Black Hawk assigned to the squadron during the months when my uncle returned to Mekhawk Providence to help his countrymen repel the Japanese incursion. Ted Gaynor was a brutal man. He used the war as the justification to commit atrocities. And so Batman starts already trying to see what this guy is talking about. And he goes, but that was over 60 years ago. And Batman explains, he goes, well, the guy I saw wasn't a day over 30. And so uh, he goes, it couldn't have been him. And Batman's like, well, he goes, I got part of his DNA and it was a match. He goes, if you knew that already, Batman, then why did you? And then it just pans out and Batman's already gone. And he's just like, 
He goes, uh, Janet, please prepare a letter uh, apology for my absence at this weekend's memorial service. And so Batman pans out into the Batman animated series Batplane, it looks like. Heads on over to the Batcave. We then see uh, Bruce doing his detective thing of trying to find out of how these gentlemen came there how did they disappeared so quick and what's going on between this time frame of when this guy's supposed to be dead and batman and in in a real i guess you're a long time batman fan this is real touching you know you see batman he's thinking right there and he goes he goes i dug up too many graves these past few years seen too many old allies fall to the darkness and despair and he goes, and Alfred's right there, and he goes, of course, sir. He goes, I understand. And they look over at Jason's Todd's Robin outfit that's in the case. And so um, he doesn't want to stir up old feelings. But Batman is getting a signal from the Pawlowski Cemetery. This was the final resting place for Janice Pawlowski, a.k.a. Blackhawk. So he then pans out and goes into a cool cemetery scene. Batman's there. And then what pops up? Of course, y'all would have thought a Nazi octopus comes out from the ground and, of course, attacks him. And, of course, Batman already had seen that uh, Blackhawk's grave was already empty. He fights this octopus. And then we see a member of Blackhawk saying right there, you know, fried calamari because, you know, Batman took care of the, the octopus. Y'all knew he would. And he goes in. Who's, and they say Baxter's can't cook. So uh, that pans out. We then see the CEO go into uh, the Chang Estates, upstate New York. And uh, this was a real cool conversation. He goes, we received an automatic alarm from the tomb of uh, Pawlowski Cemetery. The Batman? And he goes, uh, yes. And it appears that Zenda Blake is with him as well. Zenda, when Batman visited your offices... He goes, I replied only to the information you specifically gave, nothing else. Do you think that suspects the truth? And you see a man, it pans into him on a, on a wheelchair, and he goes, suspects? No, he knows. Batman is the world's greatest detective. He knew the truth before the lies even were spoken, which is pretty awesome to say. But then you pan out, and then he goes, that Batman probably already suspects that this guy's alive, and you just see, like, an old man sitting in a wheelchair, and that's the end of Batman Confidential issue 36. And now that takes us into Detective, and this is kind of uh, an epilogue to Eulogy, but also the beginning of a new story. Now, if you remember at the end of Eulogy, when everyone was with Alice, uh, the father recognized her for a second and said, Beth? Well, just who is this Beth that they thought that they recognized, and why does uh, Alice say before she falls to Kate, you have your father's eyes? Well, we start off with some flashbacks to Kate's childhood. Turns out uh, Kate has a twin sister who she's extremely close with named Beth, and they get into mischief together. They, you know, they sometimes uh, pretend to be the other person. They go to class and stuff, and their mother, you know, isn't too fond of that now. Their dad is in the army, so they're constantly being moved around like typical military kids and waiting for their dad to come home from whatever tour of duty that he's doing. We get a flash forward to uh, what happened after Eulogy with Kate. She's very upset over what's over what just happened, and her dad is trying to talk to her, but she's kind of shutting them out. And we find out just a little bit why Kate might be upset about this Beth situation, because we get another flashback. Uh, it's the girl's birthday, and they're going out with their mother. They're a little disappointed because their father couldn't be there. And we don't know if these are terrorists or just criminals, but they ambush Kate and her family. 
and uh, there's a bag or something being put over Kate's head, so she can't see what's going on. But when the bag's taken over her head, she's being rescued and carried out. And they're told, just look at me, just look at me, don't look behind us. But her eyes cannot be taken away from what she sees as the dead body of her mother and what looks like the dead body of her twin sister. But as you know, uh, it looks like her twin sister may be alive and may be Alice. So this is a riddle that's slowly unraveling, which hopefully we'll get some more of in the upcoming issues. Now, that's the end of the detective feature. Uh, with Batwoman. The next feature with uh, Renee Montoya, a.k.a. The Question. She was running away from a mansion last time we saw her. She was trying to find out some information about uh, some slave trade, trafficking women across. So uh, she's able to clear the gate that she was trying to clear last issue, despite the fact that the dogs and a bunch of uh, men are shooting at her. And she uses the info that she stole from the mansion, the stake out of ship that is trafficking the slaves. She fights some of the men on the boats before finding out where the women are held. She's about to free them when she gets held at gunpoint. She's about to get shot when all of a sudden you hear over the megaphone, this is the FBI, we have your ship surrounded. And she's like, yeah, you really didn't think I came here alone, did you? And she uses the opportunity of the distraction to kick her gun-toting kidnapper and knock her down. So Hector, uh, the guy who uh, hired the question in the first place to find his missing sister in the first part of the story, is reunited with his sister. And he's like, oh, yeah, did, did the woman with the hat find you? You mean the one with no face? No, the one with the hat. She was right over there. And then they point to where uh, Montoya was standing, but she's not there. There's just a box with uh, a picture of the question on it. And I'm not sure if that was supposed to be kind of, you know, artistic license or whatever, or if that's really supposed to be there. But that's the end of Montoya's first backup feature. Okay, and that's going to take us into Batman, the Unseen Issue 2. And this one leads off as the Mad Scientist. And, of course, we take off with uh, Dr. Nigel Glass doing his experiments to become invisible. And, uh, of course, Batman trying to find him. Well, in this issue, uh, Nigel Glass, you see him just experimenting with him being uh, invisible and he's pulling on uh pranks picking on people and of course uh we go back to uh the a conversation with black mask and his henchmen about uh dr nigel glass he's wanting more money and he goes he goes you idiot he goes if he can go ahead and get it go ahead and give him the money it doesn't it doesn't matter the cost because he wants to be uh invisible and he describes that that's the greatest mask of all and so Nigel Glass doing the experiments, uh, Batman trying so hard to find the clues to find out about this invisible meat man, I guess you could kind of call him what they're calling him through the book, uh, goes through and he's trying to find out as much information as he can, uh, even goes as far as to, you know, in, uh, interrogate, you know, street thugs, goes back, Batman goes back to the Batcave, uh, he's looking for uh, more clues and he describes, you know, I'm gonna have to go undercover as matches Malone and you see him go under matches Malone goes undercover uh talks to a cab guy to find out the information uh about a certain character and trying to find out what this character is doing so Batman traces that and of course and he cons the guy with it looks like more than a hundred dollars <laughs> to recognize him uh then Batman's on hopper suit to the building since he was told about it uh, goes there. He's looking for clues, trying to find, um, I guess, a central hub for this person. And of course, the thugs then return to Nigel Glass 
is a laboratory. As they go through the laboratory, of course, they find him invisible, and they're trying to talk to him. And uh, they, he's basically telling them to leave the money on there. But Nigel Glass seems to be picking on them, and he just really just beats beats them around. And uh, he roughs him up. And actually, one of the, the thugs actually gets the gun from him and shoots him. And while he shoots him, uh, he tells him, you, you just shot my partner. He goes, he goes, now I want to find out who's been uh, supplying this money. Who is your boss? So he tells him to march, goes out. Batman then finds out, of course, from the cabbie where this guy that he left uh, finds out the apartment, walks in, sees the thug that was murdered on the floor. And, of course, we see uh, the, one of uh, uh, Black Mass thugs come over and he goes, where's Moss, Hamalka? And... Um, he goes, you, you, he goes, why are you all stuck pig sweated? And he was like, huh? And then he goes, maybe it's because the gun is poking me in the back. And he was like, that wasn't your voice, Hamaka. And you see Black Mass drop his eyes down. And, of course, then he sees the situation where Dr. Glass is right behind him. And Dr. Glass has the gun to, uh, he then points the gun right at Black Mask, which leads off into uh, part three, Ghost Killer. So that's the end of the Unseen 2. But here at the Batman universe, we got issue three already. So we're going to go ahead and review Batman Unseen issue three. And so where you had last suspected it, the issue takes off where uh, Dr. Nigel Glass has the gun at Black Mask's face. So as he has it right there and he's looking at him dead in the eye and he's really telling him like he really wants to shoot him. Black Mask then starts talking to him. He goes, why are you going to take it out on me? He goes, wouldn't you like to take it out on people that most deserve it? And as course with the ability that he has now wouldn't it be much easier so black mass then goes into a little information about him and about how he took over the janus cosmetic fortune and how they all took it away from him he describes how roman sinaius uh his rebirth was from uh when he carved his his uh his mask from the ebony coffin uh of his mother so that's where black mass started and so as he's listening through this information, uh, he's describing his situation. And then Black Mask tells him, he goes, oh, he goes, even starts noticing, uh, he goes, oh, Nigel, do those finger bones mean you're fading back into view? And then as he sees that, Nigel uppercuts uh, Black Mask, takes off, and he knows he needs some more of the transflux serum to put in so because he's starting to become visible. So that as he goes through, we then see uh, Batman still trying to put the clues together, trying to put everything back to see where he can try to find this guy. And then what Black Mask had talked to Nigel, Nigel seems to be getting. Now he wants to go inflict revenge. So as he goes, he goes and starts taking out his revenge on who have did him wrong. The landlord, he shot dead. Uh but he left a witness, and then he goes for – it then pans out to a lady. You see her washing dishes. Gloves come out and grabs her, cuts the head off, and the husband looks back and says, Susan. He goes, uh, it looks like he just cut off her head. And, of course, he goes, after she jolted one man, he goes, this is what you get. Just like me, we both got nothing. So he cuts off her head just lying there, and then it says, Lieutenant – goes back to uh, the police station and it shows Lieutenant Bullock being informed of two more homicides. I mean, two more uh, homicides. And uh, Bullock says he goes, meet man witness again? And he's like, yeah, but this time they left witnesses. So he goes and starts talking to the witnesses. Batman then goes back to his back cave. Of course, he has, since he visited the apartment, he has like more information about this guy. 
And so uh, he starts trying to break down who this guy was. Calls back, winds up realizing that this guy was work, working for Wayne Tech. Calls in his boss to find out what information, what he was working on, and what were the issues, and why did they let him go. And so uh, Bruce Wayne then reassures him that uh, he did the right thing by letting him go. And about the the experiments and that he found out that he said that he will be uh, looking for revenge when he had got fired. So Batman puts this clues really quick together and then keeps an eye out on uh, the gentleman that was Nigel Glass's uh, last boss. Looks at him, looks in, and of course Batman's already there as he, he starts to attack and choking the gentleman, Batman then attacks him while he's trying to choke him and got to drop on him. He starts fighting the invisible man. And as they start fighting, Batman is trying to really try to keep his ground with him. And then he sees him through escape through the door. And then, uh, that's kind of where it just leads off where he's starting to become back invisible. And, uh, and all the Dr. Nigel glass serum seems to be working out. And it leads us into the next issue, which is going to be part four, Blur. And that's the end of Batman Unseen issue three. And that is a lot of reviews, but that's all the reviews we have. So let's go into a review wrap-up. Batman Confidential issue 35. Man, I really had hope for this story. And even where it just led off, I mean, gosh, I could have told this story in like two issues. That's how I felt like through this whole storyline. And what really sucks is that I love Batman Confidential, but this storyline just it just took its toll on me. And this issue, to be honest, um, man, I I hate to say this, but I'm gonna only give it one battering out of five. Uh, the next issue that we have is Batman Winding Gear. Uh, this was some more information about the new uh, character that's coming in to help Batman. Um, but it also gives you a kind of look at Bruce away from Gotham City in a way and kind of interacting with Aquaman, which was pretty cool. I like that. But even at that, the storyline, and I like Kevin Smith, but this is like, it seems like a, we talk about slow parts in stories. This can seem kind of like a, sto- a slow part. And, um, yeah, I'm excited about this, but this didn't excite me. So I'm going to have to give this only about one and a half batterings out of five. And then we have Superman Batman 65. Now, these haven't been all too amazing, but this issue for Halloween was pretty cool, especially seeing uh, Bruce's uh, uh, situation where Alfred killed his family, which is a total story we would have never thought of, but really cool for a Halloween special. And seeing Lex Luthor as Jimmy Olsen, man, that cracked me up when I first read it. Um, I really liked this issue. I thought it it was fun. It was good. Uh, It's good fun. So I'm going to give this about three and a half batterings out of five. And it could have been a promising four if the the artwork was a little bit better, but uh, I like that one. I like that one. That one was pretty cool. All right. And as for the first issue of World's Finest, um, I liked this uh, series. I really did. It's uh, when I heard the concept of it, because there's been a lot of changes in both the Batman and Superman world lately. So it was nice to see those come together and... Uh, I wasn't too sure about the choice of Red Robin and Nightwing as the first team up. I would have liked Nightwing to team up with Dick Grayson, kind of the you know meaning of the Nightwings thing. But reading this, it made sense because uh, Chris Kent, when he came to Earth the first time, he did have some interaction with him. I wish that they would have done a little more with the interaction instead of a just a simple, safe Flamebird story. But 
it was a nice little fun story that I enjoyed reading, so I'll give it four out of five batterings. Okay. Uh, now that's going to be for Azrael, the first issue. Uh, now this issue, you know, we were kind of wondering, like, how's this going to go after the last Azrael series? But uh, I, I want to commend um, uh, DC on this because a lot of time in comics now, we're always being treated with artwork that is kind of like photoshopped in a way, which I always kind of feel that it, it robs the 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 comic book um, essence of it just being like real. Um, and I commend them for that because this issue showed a lot of old school uh, comic drawing where n- not a lot was affected really by Photoshop. So that was pretty cool within this issue. Uh, Fabian Arise, he's a he's a hit or miss writer. Um, this was kind of eh, it kind of almost explained the backstory a little bit of what happened and what we read before about this Azrael Michael Lane. Um, but it ended really suspicious with him on a cross. So that kind of intrigued me. Honestly, I, I wasn't excited through most of the book, but when it got towards the end, I was like, okay, you know, and it is a first issue. First issues do start off like that, as you guys know. So um, I'm going to say this is going to maybe somewhere around two and a half batterings. Um, but it couldn't prove if that if what he left us with is a total shocker. So something to keep an eye on mainly. So about two and a half batterings on this one, guys. So that's going to take us in Arkham Reborn number one. Now I have to say I was I was pleasantly surprised with this book. I the the one shot that happened during Battle for the Call I wasn't a huge fan of, but I mean it was good. It just it wasn't great. This one, I like what they're doing with their establishing Arkham Asylum, the new Arkham Asylum, and I think that'll play a big part into future stories down the line. I really like that they're involving some of the characters that they have involved, like Aaron Cash, as well as introducing this new character, Alice Sinner, because I think she's going to play a big part in what's to come in the storyline as well. Um, I'm looking forward to issue number two. The only thing that's kind of throwing me off about this story is whatever happened in the last two pages of the book with this raggedy man seeing some kind of crazy hallucination where it's essentially going to make him go insane. I need some more explanation for that, but overall I would say three out of five batterings. Okay, and now Outsiders. Uh, Once again, I'm going to be giving this five out of five batterings. I'm loving the art, and Creeper was just awesome this issue. I love it when, uh, as I said in the recap, when the bats are biting him, and he's like, just bite them back. He was crazy, and the way he was stabbing Man Bat and everything. uh, Once again, I mean, I'm a little disappointed that the book's going to be taking a new direction because I'm loving this direction. My only complaint, like I said, is um, the Blackest Night tie-in at the end. Didn't, um, in the last issue of Blackest Night Titans, uh, Garfield basically take Tara's Blackest Night body and rip it to shreds. Just saying. But otherwise, great art. I'm enjoying the story. Um, five out of five batterings. So moving into Batman Streets of Gotham number five. Overall, this was a good book. I thought having Chris Yost come on the book was going to hurt this book, since especially last issue was super great. But uh, it actually it worked well. It, it worked fine it still followed what Dini's been doing in the book by you know doing the flashbacks but not flashbacks like Chris Yost does where there's six different things that are happening at once instead this was 
you know, a flashback to something that was tying in exactly what Dini did with that issue with the broker, which was issue number three. So I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to see what's going to happen in the next issue. The art by uh, Dustin Wen, amazing as usual. Um, and then the co-feature, I thought the co-feature was great. Uh, it seemed a little longer than it normally is, but hey, I'm not complaining about that. I like to see... Uh, Manhunter get a little bit of the personal life and then have to deal with the you know superhero slash work life too it's interesting and I'm really interested to see what comes out in the next couple months as far as what goes on between her and Two-Face so overall I'm going to give this book 5 out of 5 batterings Gotham City Sirens once again can we limit Poison Ivy's powers a little bit she can grab a cactus and make it grow that much in the span of a few panels, really? Now, when the last issue came out, everyone was, I saw lots of people complaining, oh, Paul Dini isn't showing any respect, he's just writing the Batman animated series Joker, when over in uh, Batman R.I.P. we had the new David Bowie Joker, and oh, you know, he disappeared, now they're having him just return randomly with no explanation. Lame. F you, Paul Dini. Well... Some people are eating those words, because it turns out that this isn't really the Joker, it's really gaggy, and I did have to check. I was like, wait, is this actually a real character? And sure enough, it was, so nice touch by Paul Dini, basically pulling a Grant Morrison, taking something from, you know, the golden slash silver age, and bringing it into the modern mythos in a nice little way. Uh, I Like I said, I found it weird. Catwoman's really so quick to murder after she had that whole crisis of conscience last time. I know it's the Joker, but still, it was just like random, hey, let's kill the Joker. Can't believe we haven't thought of this before. There's a reason you haven't thought of it before, because uh, killing the Joker isn't exactly something that you can just decide to do in an afternoon and get it done. He's the Joker. Well, in this case, he wasn't, though. Uh, The art's a little iffy, and there was those few complaints that I had right then and there, but otherwise, I always enjoy this book, so I'm going to give it four out of five batterings. Alright, so Batman 692. Now, I gotta say right off the bat, I was so happy that Judd Winnick was off this book. I was really getting tired of what he was doing with Batman. And honestly, to me, it seemed like he was just digging a hole, and every month he dug the hole deeper. And as much as Tony Daniel has a very strange view of how to tell a story, he has an overall story, like Grant Morrison in a way, and... There, it did, it it did run around a bunch, and you know, there was a lot of things that are going to play into what's going on in the future. But that's what he does. He makes a story, and even though if you read it as a standalone issue, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, and it really seems like he's jumping all over the place. All these things eventually lead up to something else, and that's what he did with Battle for the Cow, and that's what he'll do with this book. But hands down. Batman is back as far as not being the guy who's smiling at cameras and being the happy-go-lucky Batman that he's been <clears throat> that he's been as John Winnick's been uh, writing him. So, uh, hands down to Tony Daniel as far as bringing the dark Batman back. Uh, I'll give this four out of five batterings. Okay. Well, uh, that's going to take us into uh, Batman Confidential issue 36, uh, the story with the, the Blackhawk. Um, 
it seemed like a pretty cool story idea. Um, after reading the the whole uh, the whole bear thing and the Moscow thing, I kind of really welcomed this, and it had a little bit of that uh, 1940s feel, which I really like. Uh, I, I like that kind of era stuff. Um, but uh, I'm really interested to find out where is this story going to. Uh, the artwork was okay, um, but a- as far as um, where this uh, where uh, Royal McGraw is taking this story kind of interested and to use the blackhawks that's pretty cool so uh i'm gonna say this is gonna be somewhere around three batterings with promise to a four if the whole story arc can prove to be satisfactory but um it's a lot better and a lot better improvement over what i read last in batman confidential and for detective i really don't have a lot to say about this i mean because i enjoyed the story I, you know, it wasn't like, oh, well, why is Man Bat here because he's supposed to be in Louisiana and, you know, this continuity thing, that. I mean, it was just a nice, straight-up, simple story. Um, I like the ending uh, a lot, you know, kind of the cliffhanger that they did there. So, five out of five for uh, the Batwoman feature. For the Renee Montoya feature, eh. I mean, whenever I read the Renee Montoya backups, I just kind of sleepwalk through it. It's like, okay. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't terribly exciting either, so... Two out of five batterings for that, and five out of five for Batwoman. Okay, uh, that's going to take us to Batman Unseen Issue 2, and this issue was just crap. <laughs> that's all it was. You know what, and here's the thing. The the only thing I liked about this issue was the way that uh, Kelly Jones drew Black Mask, and I don't even care for Kelly Jones. I don't, I don't think I don't like his Batman. I don't think he can really draw Batman. Uh, but for some reason, the panels, the stories weren't flowing as well. I like the chapter breakups that he does and, and putting the little interesting of Batman, you know, looking through a like a spyglass or whatever. And, and that's pretty cool. And that stuff's, you know, that's pretty funny. But Doug Minnick, I mean, it's a total miss on issue two. Uh, I'm going to only give this one battering out of five. And that's only because I like the way Kelly Jones drew Black Mask in here. Issue, uh, issue three of the series, um, a better rebound. I will say a better rebound uh, because it, it started to show more of their interaction between Nigel and Black Mass, which I think issue two could have just been told with this one right here, or could have just been two issues right all together. But uh, Nigel Glass going back, and we finding out the story that he has the tie with Wayne Tech, and what uh, Black Mass has against Bruce Wayne. You could kind of see that now. But um, honestly, he should have been told in issue two and not waited to issue three. But um, at the same time, Kelly Jones draws an awesome Black Mask within the series. But unfortunately, Black Mask only appears a little bit in the beginning, and we have to be put through torture of Kelly Jones artwork through the rest of the book, I feel. <laughs> but uh, but honestly, issue three, it, it was a better rebound, but not much better. I'm only going to go ahead and give it one and a half batterings out of five for issue three. All right, so that's the review wrap-up. Now let's just go over some of the reviews that were posted on the site. Um, starting off with Batman Unseen number two, Z Factor gave it one out of five batarangs. Um, Batman Streets of Gotham, Tigger Brown gave it two out of five batarangs. Superman Batman number 65, Z Factor gave four out of five batarangs. Detective Comics number 858, Tigger Brown gave five out of five batarangs. Batman number 692, Tigger Brown gave four out of five batarangs. World's Finest, Dark Knight Dave gave three out of five batarangs. And Batman the Unseen 
Z-Factor gave 3 out of 5 batarangs. So, as always, you can check out the website and make sure you're looking for the comic book reviews from different people who aren't us who are reviewing stuff on the website. So, no discussion because at this point we're already sitting at close to 2 hours, so let's get into uh, Bat Books for Beginners and let's throw it over to Nick. Hello there and welcome back to another edition of Bat Books for Beginners. I'm your host Nick and today I'm looking at 1998's JLA Year One, which is a limited series which was created by Mark Wade, Brian Augustine and Barry Kitson, who are jointly credited as storytellers. Now it's a long story, so bear with me, let's get on with it. We open the story with a character shrouded in mystery watching five heroes in action. The Flash, Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter, Black Canary and Aquaman. This figure jots down note as we learn that the heroes have battled aliens and have worked together to take them down. We then see each hero in their alter ego of Test Pilot for Green Lantern, a flower shop owner for Black Canary, a cop for Martian Manhunter the Flash is a police scientist, and Aquaman, well, he's just Aquaman. We learn a bit about their private life and how they cope with their secret identity. Plus, we learn the fact that they are all slightly nervous about meeting as a group for the first time. When they do meet, they show the army a secret cove where they have hidden the aliens that they captured. However, a mysterious group arrive called Locus, who attempt to teleport the aliens out of there. The hero team combat them, but nothing remains of the aliens or Locus as they teleport away. The heroes realise they worked well together, and begin to get to know each other and discuss their powers. An organisation observes this as an interruption to their plan, and states that their field agents are about to enter play. Next, we see that Vandal Savage has been hired to take down the new team by Locus. Savage brought down the Justice Society of America in the past, and so Locus think he might do a good job of taking down the new Justice League of America. Savage decides to hire Solomon Grundy, Clayface, Thorn, and Eclipso to handle the new team. That team meet at a press conference and state their intentions to form a new Justice League of America. Whilst they are barraged with questions by the press, the four villains arrive and cause mayhem. The new league fight them live on TV with the world watching. They struggle. The world worries, but thanks to some ingenuity, the league defeat the villains and save the bystanders. However, the villains do get teleported away. Batman looks on at the new Justice League and expresses to himself that they are not welcome in Gotham and they should be dealt with. Green Arrow also arrives to greet the new team and seems to want to join them. Plus, a representative of Ted Cord and Cord Industries arrives, telling the team that lots of finance is available to them, and he wants to meet them to discuss it. Meanwhile, Locus are working on the alien corpses and remains left from the fight with the JLA, and are not having any success in developing a new alien. 
Meanwhile, the JLA are setting up their base in that cove with gadgets provided by Cord Industries and a mechanic. They discuss the possibility of inviting Superman to join them, but seem nervous, concerned, or even that it might be unnecessary to ask him, why do they need him? As they share a few laughs and leave, something strange happens to John, or Martian Manhunter, who sees a mysterious glowing figure in the cove and flies off. The Blue Beetle is tracked down and captured by three mysterious figures working for Locus. The Green Lantern gets grounded from flying due to his constant lateness at his job, and Aquaman runs into some trouble at an aquarium where he is frustrated by humanity's violent nature. But back with the Blue Beetle, he's tortured and experimented upon by Locus, who are attempting to create a new alien monster. They plan on sending out their alien for a field test with the Blue Beetle's captors, who it turns out are Monsieur Mala, the Brain, and Madame Rouge, who are known as the Brotherhood. Next we go to a small American town where the Brotherhood have fired a weapon that cleanly removes body parts and forms them into another body. A bit strange. The Doom Patrol, another less popular hero team, arrive with the JLA to stop an army of purple aliens created by the Blast. During the fight, the vital components of the JLA, Canary's voice, Flash's legs, Green Lantern's ring, John Jones' eyes, are taken to form one super being with all of those parts. And the brain is in control of this super superhero. The brain establishes a fortress with his ring, whilst the JLA are treated by the Doom Patrol who provide a new arm for Green Lantern, optic replacements for Martian Manhunter, and give the JLA back what they need. However, they're still missing their powers. When the JLA and Doom Patrol team up to attack the Brain and his new super body, they defeat him mostly thanks to Aquaman, and their bodies are returned to normal. Aquaman is really part of the team now, and the Doom Patrol are new allies. In Gotham City, the Justice League confront their benefactor's middleman, the financier, to find out where the funding is coming from. The financier claims it to be genuine, and John shocks the League by saying he's telling the truth, and he knows this through his telepathy, which the Justice League are aware he can do. Locus's plan has come to fruition with the creation of a controllable monster. During a routine fight, Superman arrives to aid the League. He's shown around the headquarters and asked if he wants to join. Superman declines. We later learn that John has been posing in each Justice League member's private life, appearing as a friend or some form in their life to learn a bit more about them. He learns secrets about them, and they feel that he's betraying their trust. As he flees, the League run after him. However, a man arrives to tell the JLA something, but before he can get there, he's shot by the financier to ensure Locus's secrets are not let loose. The JLA, without John, are informed of three dangers possibly Locus's Armageddon attempts. One melting the ice caps, one underwater tidal wave creator, and one destroying a forest in America. Flash and Canary take out the ice cap machine, guarded by Locus Alien. Green Lantern and Aquaman take out the underwater machine, guarded by a big fish. The JLA arrive at the forest machine to find that John Jones is already there. They attack John, assuming him to be a villain with fire, and they destroy the machine, which sets the forest on fire too. But John claims he was trying to help. Meanwhile, at the JLA headquarters, the mechanic is attacked by the financier, who it seems might be possessed by a powerful alien. Whilst the forest is burning, more locust aliens show up for a fight. 
During the fight, John flies into the methane machine and destroys it. It blows up and John appears dead from the explosion. The JLA rush back to their headquarters to find more Locus aliens. We learn that Locus has been terraforming the world to this alien standard and creating their own new bodies, like the new film coming up, Avatar, to survive in this new climate that will kill all humans. Locus decides to move all the continents of the planet together to create a supercontinent, which will destroy cities and coastlines. Green Lantern flies into space and holds the continents together whilst the Justice League try to stop the machine. John smashes through the cove wall and it appears he's alive now and he helps them fight the aliens and they defeat them. We then learn John was spying on the team because he was unsure of their acceptance of him since they were human and he wasn't sure that he could trust them claiming that they don't really know each other. The League decide to reveal themselves to each other and tell each other about their private lives and their names. Suddenly, the mechanic bursts in to tell them that his uncle, the financier, tried to kill him, and he realises that the planet has been prepared for the arrival of a huge amount of spaceships that start to arrive on Earth. Only one group dares to challenge this intergalactic threat, the Super Friends! With Locus defeated, the alien force invades, capturing every single hero and imprisoning them on an Atlantic island, including Batman, who we see defeated in the Batcave. We're told that when the seven aliens fought the Justice League at the beginning of this story and helped unite our Justice League, one alien was not found. His landing went wrong, and he didn't inherit his host body. He was trapped underwater and freed by the group Locust. So he took the body of the financier and acted as a spy, waiting for the moment to strike Earth. Now he leaves the body of the financier and steals the body of one of his soldiers. The financier, now free of the alien lord, flees and is caught by Vandal Savage, looking to bring down the aliens. The JLA head to their headquarters and find that the files John compiled of every hero on Earth have been stolen probably by the financier, which is how every hero has been captured. They've been taken out in their private lives. The JLA are ambushed and they're captured, and they're transported to the prison containing the DC heroes. But we suddenly realise that through Green Lantern's ring, the League are in disguise, and they're posing as different heroes. So they are able to break out of the specific shackles. So, for instance, Flash was actually posing as... Green Lantern so he can get out of his prison. They gather the hero's weapons and, to, and prepare to fight the alien invaders with every single DC hero. The fight begins across the globe with the five JLA members leading all the different heroes. Vandal Savage has a weapon that can now destroy the alien's telepathy and, the, and kill the aliens as a result, as well as humans. Vandal Savage appears to the JLA but it turns out to be a mind-controlled clayface. Savage offers the weapon as a gift to the JLA. They are apprehensive about using it since it may kill humans and the JLA too. John takes the machine and decides to use it. He is not telepathically powerful enough on his own, and the entire JLA are used to add their mind and destroy the aliens, sending them back to their world. So, the JLA were successful, and gained the admiration of all the heroes, including the JSA, that's the Justice Society of America, and Superman, who wants to join the League. 
They are heralded by the media and public and realise that their team is now going to be defending the planet and humanity. The book ends with the team voting to include Green Arrow into the League, and we see the financier arrive at an office telling Oliver Queen that the JLA are getting nosy again about where their finance is coming from. So we learn that Oliver Queen, the Green Arrow, has been providing their funding all this time. Aquaman, swift and powerful monarch of the oceans, with ability to summon and command all creatures of the deep. Wow, that was quite a long story, but uh, getting into my review now, I really thought that there was a great opening to the story, it established a lot in the first issue or two, and really got through the League, told us all about their individual lives, how they live, as well as telling us about the Justice Society of America, and they really got across a lot of info very well, very interesting way in that first issue or two. Locusts were intriguing as an organisation. I wanted to learn more about this shifty group of people. And I loved, um, and there were some really funny bits as well, like Aquaman in the in a bar trying to get a beer. I thought that was a great little sequence. There were lots of fun references to the old Justice Society of America, fun moments like Black Canary's heels on her costume not being very practical and she claimed that Flash's earpieces aren't a good design for a costume either and they really had some good fun moments there. It was nice to see that the JLA's first fights weren't easy and fellow heroes like Batman and Superman weren't welcome to the idea of the Justice League. There was a really great chemistry between the characters in the League. It was great for me to see more of slightly less famous heroes than Batman and Superman like Aquaman and get to know them well before the big boys arrived. And and when they did turn up, Superman and Batman weren't really involved very much. It was all about those five characters. Now, the last book I reviewed, World Finest, had no chemistry at all with Batman and Superman. So it was great here with the League to see some really great chemistry, great interactions, character development over the series. Very impressed with it. I thought they did a really great job of involving the personal life of the heroes, and characters like Aquaman and the Martian Manhunter really added something and were very different to the rest of the team. But each team member had their own individual problems which were quite compelling. I did think that the Justice Society of America storyline and the Black Canary storyline were very similar to the Watchmen story involving the female hero in that story. Now I thought that the Brain and and the Brotherhood villains were, were interesting villains which I hadn't come across before but I must admit, during that middle section, issues 6 and 7, I found that the story was just filler, really, pretty pointless, and it was just the middle two issues there where I thought were a little bit weak and just wasted time, and I wanted to get on with the story. I thought it was an interesting retelling of the early days of the JLA. Perhaps the most mo- notable difference to me, though, was that seeing that Wonder Woman was replaced by Black Canary, and there was no sign of Wonder Woman at all, and I just wonder as to why that is. As well as, of course, the fact that I've always associated the start of the Justice League with Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman. So it was interesting to see two of those characters very minor in this book and one not seen at all. It was interesting with Black Canary because being the only woman in the team, it was inevitable that uh, there was going to be a bit of flirtation with that character. And I think they, they got through that quite well. And the Manhunter as well isn't ready to trust his human counterparts, nor is he willing to reveal the extent of his powers. It really showed how they were uneasy with each other to start with, which is nice to see. It didn't. All, it wasn't all perfect and everything was easy. It was a difficult start for the Justice League. And in other words, these first steps are awkward ones for the team. 
and uh, they do a fantastic job of showing how these personalities clash at certain points. The art, I think, had a classical feel to it, but it doesn't appear dated and works very well. I personally haven't ever warmed to the Justice League, and I feel this is probably because I've only seen limited stories, so the odd TV show episode or a short comic story. There was never much development there for me. But over 12 issues here, I thought this was a great story, told really well, and apart from a blip in the middle, wasting time a little bit, it had me wanting more all the way through. The aliens and cosmic stuff is not usually my sort of stuff, but here it was re- it was fine, just because I was interested in the League and their adventures, and I wanted to see how they got on, and it's great storytelling, good art, great book. I'll be giving it 4 out of 5 batterings, and it's nearly a 5, except for those couple of issues in the middle. By authority of the mystic guardians of the universe, on the far distant planet Oa, Al Jordan test pilot becomes the Green Lantern, a cosmic crusader whose magical power ring at his bidding accomplishes the impossible. So that was Justice League of America Year One. I hope you enjoyed that, I recommend that book. And if you're starting to think we're getting off the Batman track a little bit, do not fear, as we're tackling Batman Tales of the Demon next time. This is a trade paperback collecting early stories of one of Batman's most formidable enemies in history, Ra's al Ghul. So look forward to that. This has been Nicked. See you next time. A scarlet costume ejects from his ring, and in a blur of motion, police scientist Barry Allen becomes... The Flash, world's fastest human. The Flash, whose speed enables him to vibrate through solid walls and conquer the barriers of time and space in the pursuit of evildoers. The Flash, Scarlet Speedster for justice. Alright, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Uh, Make sure you pick up the next book for the next episode. Let's get into our upcoming releases for the next two weeks. We have on November 18th, Azrael number 2, Batman Confidential number 37, Batman Battle for the Cowl, Batman Streets of Gotham number 6, Batman the Unseen number 4, The Outsiders number 24, and Superman Batman number 66. On November 25th, we have Arkham Reborn number 2, Batman the Brave and the Bold number 11, Detective Comics number 859, Gotham City Sirens number 6, and World's Finest number 2. Going into what we will be covering in the next episode, we will be covering Batman Robin number 6, Batgirl number 4, Batman 693, Batman Doc Savage Special, Red Robin number 6, Azrael number 2, Batman Confidential 37, Batman Streets of Gotham number 6, Batman the Unseen number 4, Outsiders number 24, and Superman Batman number 66. A lot of comics once again, but not nearly as many as this episode. Alright, so at this point, this is pretty much the end of the podcast, but I just want to throw out uh, a a couple things. The first thing is um, Project Fanboy. uh, The award nominations have have been posted, and we are nominated for Best Fan Site. So now is the time when we would like you all to go to Project Fanboy and vote for us for Best Fan Site. Now, um, that those those votes are going to go through December 31st, so even though you've got plenty of time, please go over there and do it now, so that way you don't forget. That brings me into the next thing. Now, recently there's been a lot of 
things happening on the podcast, uh, us being late, um, as well as some of us not being able to be on the podcast themselves. So what I'd like to do is I'm putting a call out for new co-hosts and specifically people who edit, who would be able to edit podcasts. You don't necessarily have to be a co-host, but the problem is that Savannah at this point in time has left and we haven't heard from her in a month and she had a lot of personal issues and different things in general that are preventing her from helping out. And Nick has been editing the podcast for the last couple months, but Nick actually has a job that he is extremely busy throughout the week. So on top of that, Apple has things that he's doing on the side. Josh does things on the side as well. And I've, I'm running the website. So what we I'd love to have is I'd love to have some people, new people come aboard and help us out. Um, it's a lot of stuff to put on our plate. It's a lot for me to keep up with all of the news daily on top of trying to edit the podcast and as you may have noticed in the past, some of the episodes that I edit are nowhere near as good quality as some of the ones that Savannah and Nick have done. So putting the call out there, new co-hosts, we'll probably restructure some things if we can get some new co-hosts. We did this a year ago, and we'll do it again. So if you are interested in being a co-host on the podcast, email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net and let us know. We're always looking for people to review comics on the website as well. Uh, we've had we had a bunch of people who are reviewing comics, and now it's down to really just three people reviewing comics: Tigger Brown, Z Factor, and Dark Knight Dave. I throw out my thanks to you guys for reviewing comics, but we have tons of other issues that aren't being reviewed at all. So send us an email and let us know that you want to review those because there's plenty of books that need to be reviewed. This is basically a call for help. Uh, this is a lot of stuff for me to take care of, and. I can't put everything on to Nick, Apple, and Josh. So in order to keep the site going, we need some more people to come out and help us out because the site's gotten a little bit bigger than we imagined at first. And as much as we'd love to sit here and brag about how large the site is, it is a little too large for the few of us to handle. So we could use all the help we could get. Yeah, guys. And remember, this is a community thing. So whatever you can get involved with, whatever you could pitch in, um, please do it. Don't hesitate to ask because, I mean, that's what we're really here for. And just as an instance, I mean, I'd like you both to tell the fans what you've gotten out of helping out for the site. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. I mean, I mean, come on, guys. You get to... If you help out with the site, you'll be able to get news passes so you can interview a lot of the big names within the comic book industry. Uh, look at some of the people that me and Dustin have gotten to interview. Uh, joining the site, I mean, it's not, it's going to be, it's a fruitful love, really, because whatever you put into it, that's what you get back. And, um, you know, from the beginning, when when Dust really had started, there was not a lot for us to go off of. But, I mean, look what we have grown into. So we're always trying to get, because uh, we view it as a family, so always try to get our family involved any way we can. And it could lead to you, if we can't make it to Chicago, New York, San Diego, Florida, wherever the case may be, London... If you're in that area and you can help out the Batman universe in those areas, we more than welcome you to come along and help us out. Especially when the comic conventions come along because we have the opportunity to get multiple press passes for different events. The thing is, we have to you have to be helping us out for quite some time ahead of time. Chicago's coming up in April, 
then we've got San Diego in the summer and New York Comic Con in the fall. So these conventions, this would be an opportunity for you guys to help out the site, number one. And number two, meet some of these people that you might not have a chance to meet or ever get a chance to talk to. I mean, you could go to the San Diego page that we have on the website and see all of the tons of big-name people that Apple and I talked to when we were in San Diego, and that's only going to happen all over again this year. Right. And and make no mistake about it, guys. It is work because <laughs> Dustin and I were running around, being in lines, uh, trying to get an interview with someone who was talking to 25 other people, almost asking the same questions. So, you know, we always try to spice things up a bit to to make it different for them. But um, at the same time, guys, you know, it'll be really cool to go to a convention. And you say, I'm going to go look around. And I'm going to buy this. It's really not the case when you're actually there working for press. <laughs> And press is most times standing in line waiting to get an interview a lot of times for you guys. So, uh, right. But it's all fun, though. It's really fun. Even it, the more people we have when we go to these conventions, the more chances we have to everybody has free time. Apple and I had very, very little free time when we were in San Diego, but that was because, we. I mean, we talked about this before. We were just understaffed. If we had more people, it wouldn't have been so bad. Yeah. And we have a lot of fun on these podcasts, too. And uh, one example, if you listen to the three-part 1960 special that uh, Nick put together, just listen to, those, uh, to, to all those bloopers at the end. I mean, you can see that was one of the shows we just had a blast doing. And the moving commentaries over the summer. I mean, you know, th- this podcast isn't all, you know, it can be work sometimes, but it, it's fun. It mm-hmm. is fun. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, and I, I've enjoyed our little, you know, back get-togethers, and uh, there's some other perks, too. Like, you know, we'll we'll be able to, like, send each other stuff that the other people are missing sometimes, and I got my Batman Universe t-shirt, too, from Dustin. And as time progresses, also, Warner Brothers is recognizing us a lot more. If you If you look at the website and read the editorial section, they're sending us a lot of things to review, and there's a lot of things that I have absolutely no inclination whatsoever to keep which means staff gets first choice. That's just the way it goes. So keep that in mind, too. Like I said, we're looking for reliable people who've got some extra time to spare. Honestly, Nick can edit a podcast in like three or four hours. It doesn't take as long as you might think. It just If you're sitting there and you're, you don't have anything else to do, it only takes a couple hours to do. This episode obviously would take a lot longer because it's two hours long, but for the most part... This these are these. It doesn't take a lot to edit. It just takes some creativity, really, because you have to find clips and you're you're placing the clips where you want them to place. The editing is the big thing. The co-host is another thing because we lost Savannah and Apple and Josh and Nick aren't always available to to record. So email us podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. For anything else, you can email us at that email address as well. Make sure you're checking out the website for daily comic news. And the editorial section for comic reviews and other comic posts. For the edit- for the blog section, if you guys are reading the blog, please leave comments. Because what makes us keep doing the blog is by you guys leaving comments. We made the blog because you guys asked for it. And we're not getting a ton of response for it. And that's part of the reason we end up chopping things off. Is because, one, some of this stuff takes a lot of time. And to get absolutely no response about it, it doesn't really help our motivation whatsoever so please leave comments if you're reading the blog go on to the forums you can leave any kind of messages you want you can interact with other people if you're having a problem getting onto the forums it's because your name is a very strange name and it's not 
a normal name that I would think would be a normal form name, so I've considered it spam. So if you're having problems getting on, email us and let us know, and we'll make sure we get you act your account activated. For everything else, leave reviews on iTunes, go vote for us on Project Fanboy, and that's pretty much it for this episode. So this is Dustin. This is Apple. You got Josh. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode 31. We'll see you guys next time. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. that headline that you did mike marks is scared by uh batman comics <laughs> so as always nick will read for newsrama and i will read for the great dan didio who laughs a little too much all right guys well i, I can't I, I can't i can't do a nick voice <laughs> <laughs> i like i try and do i try and do the british accent i for nick but i just sound irish Did I say Nick or did I say News? You said Nick. You said Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, he stayed pretty much on topic too. Yeah. For the most part, yeah. Someone gave him his. Okay, I was gonna say someone gave him his Ritalin today, but that might be too politically incorrect. Yeah. Yeah, but like, if if the person who was like, I mean, for those of you, well, no, I was gonna say if the president, I don't know if we want to announce where you work on the podcast no. though. We lost Apple. And we lost him completely. Anyway, let's just continue on with the con- the Trade Paperback releases. All right. November 25th. Actually, that's the only book we have. Never mind. The, oh, what was he? Um, are you guys still there? Yes, I'm sorry. Okay. I just muted my mic. Okay. Yeah, me, me, me too. Right. <laughs> I thought I lost you again. <laughs> we see the Daily Bugle, and the Daily Bugle, we're like, you know, uh, Lois Lane is getting exclusive from Superman. Apple. They're saying, Apple. Yeah. Daily Bugle yeah. is not the right universe. Oh, duh. Daily Planet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got to cut that out. <laughs> what the hell was that? It was a paper shredder. Okay. I love uh, how, by the way, all of a sudden in this issue, Huntress knows the identities of everyone in the Batman family. I actually test- t- texted Dustin when I was reading it. I was like, oh, so Huntress knows who everyone is now. Oh, it looks like uh, Black Flaw. Black Flaw. Mm. Oh, okay, it's me next. Yeah, Gotham's.